have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. What? If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. What difference at this point does it make? Does it make? If you're looking to make sense out of what's going on it in make. the world today, then come to the right place. Welcome to if Southern you're Sense to make Talk sense Radio. Out of what's going on it in the world today? Annie, the radio Chicky right Bellis. And the most interesting guests that you'll find anywhere on Internet Radio. And you can join the show and let your voice be heard by dialing 917-889-3675. So sit back, relax, and remember, Southern Sense is Common Sense. Headlines, breaking news. It's another hurricane. Oh, no, wait a minute. It's an earthquake. Oh, no, it's another riot going on. Oh, the world is falling apart. Every day, another shocking headline makes you wonder, what will tomorrow bring? That's why those who know what's coming are using today to prepare. I'm talking about getting your family some high-quality emergency food from My Patriot Supply. My Patriot Supply is the nation's leading preparedness company. They've been in business going on 14 years now, and they've served millions of American families. Now, they want to help you. By giving you $50 off their popular four-week emergency food kit, you'll get four weeks of food per person, with meals designed to give you more than 2,000 calories a day. Oh, by the way, this food stays fresh for up to 25 years in proper storage, so it will be there when you need it. Other food goes bad fast, so don't wait. Go to preparewithsouthernsense.com and claim your four-week emergency food kit. You'll save 50 cents per, 50 cents, no, not 50 cents, $50 per kit if you act now. Now, you can go to preparewithsouthernsense.com, or if you're listening to the show on my website, just go to the top left-hand corner, click on prepare. Go to Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Don't Wait. Do it today.
All right, and welcome to another adventure here on Southern Sense Live on Blog Talk Radio, SHR Media, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, Global Enlightenment Radio, and half a dozen other places I probably forgot. <laughs> I'm your hostess with the least mostest, the Radio Chickadee, Annie, along with my co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett, who has been having a heck of a hard time today to try to come on air. Curtis, are you with me? Yes, I am, um, by way of my, my cell phone. Um, I don't know if you can hear it in the background, but we have a uh, thunderstorm that's going on. So every once in a while, you might hear the bombs bursting in air, you know, <laughs> from the thunder. <laughs> well, it's starting to drizzle up here, so we're we're about three hours apart from each other. Uh, so, yeah, so whatever is hitting you is going to hit me real, real soon. Well, listen, Curtis, wow. we've got ourselves a a really, really great show lined up today. Um, great guests. Your friend, uh, Karen Schoen, who's a citizen journalist, a lobbyist. Uh, she has also her own podcast, America Out Loud. Uh, then um, mm-hmm. instead of having Gregory Wrightstone from the CO2 Coalition joining us today, he's sending a friend of his, the director of the CO2 Coalition, Bruce Everett. And he's a specialist in global oil markets. Whoa. Okay, and international energy and environmental policy. Then we have a candidate for Congress out of Florida District 7, Tuan Lee, who is a Vietnamese um, refugee, American citizen running for Congress. He does not want to see a slip into the communism the left is trying to uh, force on us. Then I have a friend of mine, a dear friend, Diane Hardy. She started a new foundation called Mom and Pop Alliance to help small businesses. It's an advocacy group. But I've known Diane for, oh, good Lord, ever since we started the tea parties back in 2009, 2010. And when the IRS went after the tea parties, she's one of the ones that went to Washington, D.C. to testify before Congress about what the IRS was doing to conservative groups like ours. Uh, And then... We're going to have from the Heritage Foundation, Sarah Parshall Perry. She's with the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies. And I read some of the articles she wrote. This is going to be a powerful, a powerful uh, interviews today. A lot of what is going on, I'm telling you, sometimes the good Lord is looking over my shoulder. A lot of these guests are going to intertwine in the subjects that they're going to be talking about. Uh, because Karen Schoen and Diane Hardy are going to be addressing the ESGs. And if anyone doesn't know what that is, that's something that could affect you every day of your life because it will affect you very similar to the way that a credit rating does, whether or not you can take out a bank loan or buy a car or get a credit card or even open a bank account depending upon what your ESG score is. And it is the new woke society way of shutting us up. So if we don't have the right message, you're not going to be able to do a single piece of business in your daily life. And if you can't do, you probably can't even get into a college or get a job if your ESG is not a woke one. So this is going to be very, very important. Sorry, I've been seeming to lose my voice the last couple of days. So please bear with me uh, as I try to <clears throat> struggle along. 
So we got ourselves a really great show lined up here, Curtis. Oh, yeah. And I'm looking forward to it. And to talking to my two fellow Floridians. Mm-hmm. They have a lot to All share. Right. Well, those that listen to our show know that we start off each and every show with the dedication to a fallen hero or heroes. And today's dedication is going to go out to two gentlemen, police officer John Painter and civilian campus safety officer J.J. Jefferson, both of the Bridgewater College Police Department in Virginia. Their end of watch was on Tuesday, February 1st of this year. And this starts off from Augusta Free Press. Just days after the tragedy that rocked the Shenandoah Valley, life is not the same in the town of Bridgewater. On Tuesday, February 1st of this year, two beloved officers on the campus of Bridgewater College were tragically shot and killed while protecting those they pledged to serve. Campus Police Officer John Painter and Campus Safety Officer J.J. Jefferson were killed in the line of duty after confronting a crazed gunman on campus. Alexander Wyatt Campbell, 27, shot the officers and ran before being captured by a combination of local authorities. The shooting remained under investigation, and Campbell, a former student at Bridgewater, has been arrested and charged on multiple accounts. As this small liberal arts college aims to impossibly get back to some form of normalcy, hearts are heavy as they remember and pay their respects to two guys who together were known as the dynamic duo. From ABC News, by Denise Lavoie, I add, WWBT-TV reported that Campbell appeared via video conference for his arraignment and appeared to be restrained in a chair. Jean Hart, an attorney appointed by the judge, asked that Campbell undergo a mental health evaluation. Hart declined to comment after the hearing. Campbell's mother, Cheryl Campbell, told the Richmond Times-Dispatch that her son needed help. My son is mentally ill, and he did something that I could not control, and no one could come to help him, Campbell said in an interview with the newspaper on Wednesday. I'm sorry for what happened. I could not prevent it. This is a very hard time for Wyatt and his family, and for the families that he has affected, she said through tears. It is not about gun control. It is not. It is about mental illness and how we have no control over that. The way society is right now, I can't help my son. School President David W. Bushman identified the slain officers as Campus Police Officer John Painter and Campus Safety Officer J.J. Jefferson. He said the campus was mourning the loss of the well-known and well-loved officers. In a statement, Bushman said, the two were known as the dynamic duo and that Painter was the best man at Jefferson's wedding this year. Virginia State Police said the shooting happened shortly after the campus officers responded to reports of a suspicious man on campus around 1.20 p.m. Spokeswoman Corinne Geller 
said that after a brief interaction, the man opened fire on the officers, shot them, and fled on foot. The two officers died on the scene. Officers from state and local law enforcement agencies then joined the search and found the suspect off campus. He had waded into a river and was taken into custody on an island in the river, the state police said. Police said multiple guns were recovered as evidence both on and off campus. And the Augusta Free Press adds, John Painter, 55, was the former police chief of nearby Grottos, serving there for 18 years. He is remembered as a lover of music, a family man, and a dedicated outdoorsman. Chief Painter leaves a legacy of true diligence, heart, honor, and leadership within our community. Grotto's Mayor Joe Plaster said in a statement, Chief Painter was gentle, a kind spirit, and has been a true privilege knowing him and having him serve our town. J.J. Jefferson. He had just turned 48 on Sunday, two days before the tragedy. He also was recently married, and Painter was his best man at the ceremony. He's remembered as a loving, generous person who would go out of his way to help others. His mother, Willie B. Jefferson, told the Washington Post that he was a hard worker and loved his new wife and family. From 2012 to 2018, Jefferson worked at the Shenandoah University and was given the Wilkins Award in 2017 for his initiatives to re-envision campus security. And this is from Kellen Stepler, the Daily News Record. John Painter was all the things a community would want in a leadership position, those who knew him say. John was a dedicated man. Mayor Plaster said where Painter was town police officer and later chief. Painter and safety officer Jefferson were killed in a shooting on the college campus. Painter looked out for people and made sure things were always going fine. She recommended how personable, approachable, and community-oriented he was, just an all-around good person, Plaster said. He was a very kind spirit. He gained trust with people he knew. Plaster also described him as a mentor, someone people would want their kids to know. The loss is still setting in. He was a true pillar in the community. Current Grotto's police chief, Jason Sullivan, was hired by Painter as a town police officer in 2016. Sullivan said they immediately hit it off. He would do anything for anybody, he said. He would give you the shirt off his back. The community loved Painter, and Painter loved it back. He was a people's person and stayed humble to his roots. After yesterday, there is not a bigger hero than John and J.J. Sullivan, who knows how many lives they saved yesterday. Sullivan said Painter shaped the way he leads Grotto's police force and was always available to speak to anyone. You could not ask for a better role model, he said. He was a public servant and took that title very seriously. 
Former Guado's police chief, Charlie Long, Lawhorn, said he hired Painter in 2001. Lawhorn said Painter had the demeanor, self-determination, and, to put, and potential to be successful in law enforcement. I knew he'd be a good police officer and good for Grotto's. Lawhorn said Painter was dedicated to serving the community he recalled a time when Painter was working a midnight shift and there was an incident in Grotto's. Neither the victim nor the offenders lived in Grotto's, but Painter went above and beyond to work a 36-hour shift and the offenders were arrested. John cared about the community, he said. He was so well-liked by the people. Wes Bauer, an investigator at Rockingham County Sheriff's Office, knew Painter when he lived in Elkin, when Painter was a police officer for that town. They worked together for 17 years in Grottos after Bayer started his career in law enforcement. He was a very honest man, and I enjoyed his sense of humor, love of life, and having fun all the time. He also noted Painter's compassion for animals, he went out of his way to make sure animals were okay. He recalled a time when a squirrel would come up to the back door of the police department where they were both working in grottos. Painter would throw peanuts at the door to gain the squirrel's trust. And in two weeks, the officers were able to feed the squirrel peanuts by hand. He had an incredible compassion for animals. While under Painter's leadership, Bowers said, they had an incredible working and personal relationship, led by tremendously by example. He was not only a hero professionally, he was a hero personally. Everyone knew him, and it was a pleasure for people to know him. And finally, this is from Evan Goodenow for the Daily News Record. Bridgewater Campus Safety Officer Vashin J.J. Jefferson was remembered as a big man with a big heart by former colleagues at Shenandoah University who watched a live stream video of his funeral. Jefferson, who was fatally shot along with Bridgewater Campus Police Officer John Painter, worked as the campus security officer from 2012 to 2018 where he was well-known and liked due to his outgoing nature and welcoming spirit. He was just one of those kind-hearted individuals, Brittany Michael, a SU Assistant Director of Human Resources, who had met Jefferson when she was hired. Everybody that he worked with here at the university is heartbroken. Speakers at the funeral, which was held at James Madison University in Harrisonburg, recalled Jefferson as being devoted to his family and his wife, Shannon Oates Jefferson, a 2013 SU graduate. In his spare time, Jefferson loved grilling chicken and following soap opera plots. Because of his love of former Dallas Cowboys running back Herschel Walker, he endured razzing from Washington Commander fans. The 48-year-old Jefferson, who grew up in Upperville in Fakor County and moved to Bridgewater to be closer to his family, left an indelible mark at SU. He made a point of walking rather than driving around campus to get to know students and staff. Jefferson, who usually worked at night when campus police received most of their calls, could also be found cheering on the Hornets at games. 
and he made a point of being around when the event ended in case someone needed an escort to their dorm or vehicle. He was promoted to sergeant in 2013, and in 2017 received a James B. Wilkins Award for his relationship-based approach to campus security at the 4,100-student private university. Several awards are given annually to faculty and staff, and Jefferson is one of just a handful of security officers to have achieved that award. Those who knew Jefferson said he was naturally gregarious. He wanted to know everyone and wanted people to be able to recognize him and talk to him and feel comfortable with him around, said Heather Shannon, an SU graduate student and assistant director for admission systems who worked in the same building as Jefferson. He was pretty much the epitome of what you would want from an officer on a college campus. Pietra Schweitzer, a professor of comparative literature, said she saw Jefferson about twice per week around campus. She recalled his kindness and thoughtfulness. There was such generosity and welcoming spirit and humanity in him. You could feel he loved his job and was part of the Shenandoah community and willing to give it to all like we have had now seen. There were many anecdotes about Jefferson's time at SU. Michaels recalls him being first on the scene when her car got hit in a parking lot. He helped rip off the damaged parts and stole them in the vehicle so she could drive home that night. Reverend Dylan Siliak, interim university chaplain and worship arts coordinator, recalled Jefferson stopping by shifts to pray with her while still keeping an ear on his police radio. He made it his mission to recover a missing drum set from the Goodson Chapel Recital Hall. Jefferson, a drum player, took the disappearance personally. You don't mess with somebody's drums, she recalled Jefferson saying, before he eventually found the drums. He was trying to defend my drum set. He was a very sweet and wonderful man. Today's show is dedicated to these two heroes. It is also dedicated to all the brave men and women out there that serve as first responders, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We also dedicate to all the brave men and women that serve in our military from the birth of this nation through today and into its future. We dedicate to them this song by Todd Allen Harrington, My Name is America. May God bless each and every one.
Talk Radio, SHR Media, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, iHeart, oh, heck with it, Global Enlightenment Radio, and half a dozen other places. Just go to the name of the show, and just put a dash in the middle, southern-saints.com. All right, it looks like Curtis is having a bad time right now, Um, so hopefully he'll be able to hang out with us. Curtis, are you still with us, or did we lose you? Oh, well, he muted himself. Let's unmute Curtis. Curtis, are you with us now? Okay. Yep. Okay. okay. Yeah, you know, I'm on the phone today, so I got a little background um, music with the, the storms and stuff, thunder and some lightning. But mm. Hopefully, you know, I could keep that to a minimum by muting when I don't necessarily have to be, be heard. Okay, so hopefully we'll we'll be able to have you on the show with us. <laughs> but yeah, we're waiting for your I'm friend uh, Karen to waiting for your friend Karen to uh, call in. Uh, hopefully she'll call in very shortly. But uh, we got ourselves a lot to talk about, and uh, man, this this is a crazy upside down world that we are living in. You, know, you never know what's going to come out of that White House. You just don't know what they're going to pull next. I'm telling you. Well, most of it is something called BS. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But uh, if anyone wants, we ha- do have the uh, video going up on uh, Facebook and YouTube successfully today. Ah, and I want to thank everyone that's joining us in the chat rooms here. 
Um, I had some stuff here I pulled aside while we wait for our guest. And uh, <clears throat> I was at a, there's a new group that's starting to form around the rest of the United States. It's called uh, Friends of Liberty. And there's chapters opening in all different states. And they opened one here in South Carolina out in Hilton Head. And uh, my friend Zodan Lee runs it. And she asked me to go join. Well, for me, that's like an hour and a half ride out there. And I did. I, I did go out. And a friend of the show was actually the guest speaker. And they were talking about people getting out for this upcoming midterm election, how important it is. And we were also talking about how we were defending election integrity here within the state and different legislations that have been passed and that are going to be passed to ensure our elections are as honest as possible. And some really, really good stuff. But the guest speaker was our state attorney general, Alan Wilson. And um, I walked up behind him and I said something to him. And he just turns around looks at me with a big, big smile on his face and gave me a huge bear hug. That was worth the trip. <laughs> but, you know, it, there are groups that are starting to get together, similar along the, wet, the red wave that we started back in 2009 and 10 with the Tea Parties. They're calling them different things. It may be Friends of Liberty. Uh, it could be a Moms and, and Pops Alliance. Uh, it could be, um, oh, there's a whole heck of a lot of them there. Uh, moms, what is it? Uh, moms for Education or something like that. Moms for Freedom. There's all different types of groups that are forming out there. So find out what is going on in your area and, and join one of them. You know, I'm, I'm telling you to uh, get involved because you can't just sit there and say that you, you care. Get out there and actually do something. Join, find out what these groups are doing. Become a poll watcher or a poll worker or even man the phones at your local uh, political party office. You know, do something, but don't sit this one out, folks. Talking about not sitting it out, uh, let's get see if we can get Curtis back in here. We also have on the line our first guest of the afternoon, Karen Schoen, and she has a couple things going on. She's an advisor and lobbyist and a citizen journalist and an advisor to Florida Citizens Alliance. She also hosts her own uh, program called the Prism of America's Education at AmericaOutloud.com. So welcome to the show, Karen. How are you today? Oh, thank you so much for having me. I am excellent, and hopefully everybody else is too. Yes, right now I know uh, Curtis is having some thunderstorms, so I'm assuming that you've got some similar weather, and it's heading my way. Thank you, guys. You're pushing up here. <laughs> yeah, yes, you're right. But every time I look at the horrible Florida weather, I go and I look at my New York City, New Jersey weather where I came from, and I say, thank God I'm in Florida. <laughs> well, I said that when I fled New York, and I, my husband and I made a promise. If Hillary Clinton was elected senator in New York, we were leaving, and we did. Before she even got sworn in, we were here in South Carolina. So I know the feeling. I know the yes. feeling very, very well. So anyway, um, you, you focus on education, and there's a lot that's going on. Matter of fact, 
I don't know if Ron DeSantis already signed it, but it passed your house and then it passed the, passed the Senate, then the House. I forget which way it went. Uh, this thing, protecting parents' rights in education. So basically, indoctrination cannot occur to any child all the way up through third grade. You can't start indoctrinating these kids on all these different topics that you cover. Did he sign exactly. that yet? Do you know? Yes, I believe he was, he had signed it yesterday, um, and it was quite interesting because there was an article this morning that one of the uh, journalists at the Washington Post sent DeSantis a letter telling him, an email telling him that they better be careful because he's going to lose the LGBT tourist for signing that bill, which said to me the guy never even read it. And the answer back from DeSantis' office was, well, if that bothers them, basically he said this is not a quote, uh, if that bothers them, then they're probably not the right people to come to Florida anyway. So uh, we are very lucky. <laughs> yes. The sad part is that our uh, Speaker of the House, Chris Sprouls, and our President of the Senate, Wilton Simpson, took that bill and watered it down. It was supposed to say K through 6. That's how it got started. But they watered it down as a compromise to K through 3. So if your child is in the 4th, 5th, or 6th grade, you can get bombarded with all kinds of sexual uh, horrible things that they're forcing on our children. But at least so far, we've got the K through 3 protected, and maybe next year when we elect the group that has a backbone will continue it to age to sixth grade. Well, um, I have a friend of mine. She used to be the uh, South Carolina uh, school superintendent, and she put it this way. She goes, get the bill, get the foot in the door, get the bill passed. Later on, you yes. can go back and amend it. So the most important thing is you've got something passed. Now the legislature can work on expanding it and get it to cover, the. I would say, from K through 12. There should be no indoctrination. I, I agree with you, yes. When we are graduating kids that can't read and write and do simple math, and all we're doing is teaching them about sex, what are we doing to our children? I call that child abuse. It is. And It is. And, well, we, we already know scientifically, that the human brain is not sexually fully developed until at least the age of 26 to 27. So, you know, you know, up into that age, you're going to have some sort of confusion. And how many kids have confusion, but also they come to the age of 18 and they have decided where they land. And the vast majority of 90% decide that they are, you know, normally heterosexual. That's not to put down the LBGT community at all. It's just you have to allow these individuals to develop on their own. There should no, not be any pushing. should never be any, any adult trying to push a child into thinking there's something that maybe there really are not. Because there was recently the case down in Florida where a 12-year-old girl attempted to commit suicide twice. And the parents knew, didn't know about the first time. The only time they knew about the second time is because the police were called in when she tried to hang herself in the girls' room because a guidance counselor turned around and said, well, maybe you're a lesbian. Oh, wait a minute now. Maybe not a lesbian. Maybe you're transgender. 
And you have an adult telling you this when you don't even know you're just starting your puberty? Oh, come on. You're right. Well, this is pure child. I'm, I'm ranting. The, the, yeah, it's okay. I get on those rants also, especially when I recognize that Florida is number two in sex trafficking. So to me, what they're doing to the kids in school is they're preparing them to they're grooming them to be able to accept all kinds of perverted sex saying, oh, it's no big deal. I learned it in school. And that's what happens. Each one of these programs that we put in place in school is like you're affirming that that's okay to do, like drugs. Uh, what is the takeaway from the drug program? Don't share a needle. So it's okay to do drugs because I learned about it in school. So instead of teaching our kids the skill set that they will need for their future lives, teaching them how to read, like I said, read, write, and do simple math, um, we're not doing that. And then that leads to another question, which is if this crowd continually says America is a democracy, which we know it is not. It is a republic. It's based on democratic uh, ideas, but it is a republic. We hire, so to speak, people to go and represent us. They're supposed to follow our wishes, but let's for a minute say that uh, America is a democracy like they are screaming about. Well, in a democracy, the majority rules, and that's 50 plus 1 percent. And what has happened now is we're taking 0.5% of the population and we're saying, you rule. So what does that do for the other 99.5% of the population in a democracy? So nobody's puts holding these people accountable. No, it puts us, it puts us under tyranny because what you're talking about is fascism. That's when a small exactly. handful of elitists control the rest. And then they cause mob think. So everyone else assumes that they're going to go along to get along, which brings me into something that very few people have heard about, but we're learning about this the hard way. The ESG. What is oh, an ESG? Okay. We were discussing this yesterday because we had Friends for Liberty meet here. They have a group out in Hilton Head. And the state attorney general, my friend Alan Wilson, was the guest speaker. God bless Alan Wilson and the other 26 Republican AGs out there that are working the swamp, working against the swamp. But this was something that came up in discussion, the ESG. Okay. Okay. Well, there's two facets to this. One is the individual, the personal, you, me, any interaction that we would have going to a a government entity or trying to get a loan from a bank or a mortgage or anything like that, we are going to be scored by what they call social credits. And just take a look at what's going on in China. They want to give us a card. And if you and I have this conversation, they would be debiting our card. And what happens when we want to go on a, a train, a plane, or whatever, rent something, do something, well, this card will be have to be given, and they'll read it, and they'll say, oh, you can't go, you don't have enough social credits, you were bad, you were talking against what the government proposes. Well, they, taking that same concept, what they did is they put an overlay on now all business, all industry, and what they are being scored at through their risk factor is not their ability to repay or produce, but 
how are they with the environment? How, that's the E. The S is for social justice. What do they have in their uh, boardroom? Are, is there equity? Are there enough minorities, et cetera, et cetera? And then the last is governance. How are they treating government proposals? How are they, are they talking about it? Are they saying no? Are they doing anything derogatory? If their ESG score is not high enough, they will not get a loan. They will not get a government contract. They will not get anything that will enable them to be a productive business. So, um, I mean, this is the reason why the uh, businesses went woke so fast, because they're being scored. And all you have to do is pull down, if it's a public company, is pull down their sheet on the NASDAQ or in, um, you know, on Wall Street, and you will see right on their page their ESG score. So what can we do as consumers? What can we do? Because every time we buy into this, we're feeding the beast. And what we have to do is do some due diligence about the companies that we're working with and if they are involved in ESG, which many of the big banks are, get your money out of those accounts because they will be reporting directly to the Fed. And this was something that was put in place in 2015, but if you wind the clock back, it's part of Agenda 21, which is what's driving all of this. So. They've changed the name through the years, but it's the same program. And what that program says is the government will be in control of all aspects of human activity, period. And as Klaus Schwab said, you will own nothing and you will be happy. I don't think so. I don't no. know about you, but that doesn't make me happy at all. But who instituted these ESGs? I don't recall any legislation being passed on this one. No, no legis. No, this was coming from the Federal Reserve. This is coming from the IMF, the International Monetary Fund. It's coming out of the United Nations. And all of those agencies, the World Bank, all of those groups, when they get together in Davos, trying to decide what they can do to torture us, this is what they have come up with. And this is why the middle class is the target in America because those businesses are mostly privately held. And in America, the government can't tell you you're going to be scored with an ESG score, but your bank can. So all the big banks, if you look at them, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Chase, uh, J.P. Morgan, all those banks, all those um, firms that are hedge funds, if you want money, you are now going to have to comply with the ESG score. Otherwise, you will get nothing. Yeah, that's scary. Because my mom has very, investment accounts very, at uh, Morgan Stanley. That's very scary. Every, everything she has is sitting very, there. Yeah, and, it's very, very scary. And it's very difficult for people like me. I, I did a, a search on the banks that I was banking with, and now I'm no longer banking with them. I went to my local credit union. I found one in my 
community. I searched them out, made sure I didn't see any ESG on any of their pages, not meaning that it won't later on, but at least now there's nothing there. So credit unions are an option, and they are insured just like banks are. But I would suggest if you're banking with the major banks, get out of there, get a local state bank, get a bank local to your community, or go and use a credit union. Stop feeding the beast. These people mm. hate us. They can't stand yeah. us. They wish that they could kill right. us, but they can't, so they just will do other things to torture us. They have well, no you know, desire to do anything to help the American people. Uh, all they are interested in is money, power, and control. That's it. Well, th- this is something that we had asked Alan Wilson to look into. So he's going to be getting together with another a woman that was in the audience to discuss the ESGs. So once once Alan Wilson gets his teeth into something, I'm telling you, something ends up getting done uh, because this sounds like it's highly unconstitutional because we should be secure in our persons and papers. So what they're doing is taking away that security, our privacy, our ability to control our own lives and infringing on all of our freedoms. So if if I can't go out and say, for example, buy a firearm because of my ESG score, or maybe that the fact I'm going to purchase a firearm lowers my ESG score, um, I mean, if, if I can't even feed myself and purchase my medications because I have no access to my own rightly owned fund, something is wrong here. And if well, this is the road that they want to push us down, we've got to put the brakes on this and really, really fast. Um, a matter of fact, yeah. my friend Diane Hardy, who will be on uh, later on today, uh, started a group called Mom and Pop Alliance to help small businesses, and she was wrote an article about ESGs. So this is a show that really everything's starting to overlap, and I'm glad that we are able to talk about this and get the word out there, folks, that this is – and they're making it sound like doing this ESG is so good, and you're such a woke person. Uh, yeah, folks, you're just losing more and more of your freedoms and your ability to control your own life. But that's that's, yeah, not, and that's all part of the part of the Great Reset that you were talking about that was going on in Davos, right? Yes, yes. This is all. This is the plan. And Klaus Schwab, we should be listening to these people and really listening to what they say because their answer is, well, you, in order to save the planet we have to have a real quest for poverty because the more you use things up, the less our future generations will have them. So this is how they are trying. This is what sustainability actually means, that you can't, you can't there is no growth. It's a no growth uh, type of deal. And it will be controlled by the few who are part of the Davos crowd in the United Nations. And they're the same criminals that just passed in the middle of the night that $1.5 trillion disgusting bill filled with pork uh, that will further inhibit our rights because nobody even read the damn thing. Sorry, I should Karen, this is C.S. Yeah. Hi, C.S. Yeah. How are you? Hey, all right. I um, started hearing about this this score business maybe a year and a half ago. Um, I think it started in China. They were 
you know, scoring their people in a way that Hi. will impact even their travels and things like that. And um, I see our left here has um, jumped on board with that, that process and want to incorporate exactly. those things here. Now, what we have to do is light a match under all these candidates that are running and see what they think about this, because I have heard none of them talk about this subject. Most of them don't know about it, which is why it's so important that we vet them and make sure that they do. I also uh, read the other day that I believe now there are 20 states who have said that they will not allow ESG scoring in state banks, in um, anything. So there is, there are things that we can do, and you are right. That's pushing our local candidates to stop this because, yes, it, it came out of China, but they escalated it when they pushed it on businesses. China was focused on the individual as a way to manage and control their population, but the Davos crowd went further and they said, we're going to take in all the financial institutions. And they started this in 2015. So this is not a new thing. It was just stealth. So as we're paying attention to what's going on in Ukraine, in the middle of the night, they're passing bills to do this to us. And it's, it's very scary. Matter of fact, uh, I will be making a phone call over to Alan Wilson's office because um, I'm going to have him and his dad, Joe, you lie, Wilson, back on together. <laughs> um, but I'm going to give him a little bit more and let him know that there are actually 20 other of uh, the attorney generals because he is, I, what do they call him, the chair of the National Attorney General's Association. So he he's presides over them, so he should know about this and find out what the others have been doing and get our state in and on this. And if we can institute some sort of a constitutional class action against the Federal Reserve to stop this, I'd love to see that happen. Get the 27 of them together and institute a class action against this and stop it in its tracks. Well, that would be wonderful. <laughs> that That would be really wonderful. I would suggest if anybody wants to have a, a quick lesson on what this is, that you go and watch Glenn Beck's podcast on The Great Reset. He does an excellent job in explaining ESG and what it means to us if we allow this to continue. And his suggestion was the same as mine, which is we need to build an alternative to what they are doing so that we don't use those banks, we don't use those businesses. But that is up to us as individuals. Um, I, you know, it's the same thing like why are people still using Facebook and Twitter? Every time you touch a key, you're giving them money. So why are we doing that? People don't realize they don't equate, and that's what we have to do. But thank you, because that's what your program is doing. Yeah. Now, the great reset, it's, it's a huge, huge movement of that Schwab put together, his brainchild. But what they also want to do is change us off of a free market, reinvent capitalism. Right? Well, their idea of capitalism is that the government 
And it's a public-private partnership, which is not really capitalism, it's fascism. So this way, the government will make regulations on businesses. Our legislators will invest in those favorable companies. They will make a fortune. And that's what this is all about. The Great Reset is really the, another version of Agenda 21. Uh, all they're doing is taking Agenda 21 and giving it a different name. Uh, the concept is exactly the same. It is a redistribution of wealth, but not from the middle class to the lower class. It's from the middle class to the upper class. And you could see that happening with COVID as they shut down middle class businesses and left the major ones open. So if you went to Walmart, you weren't going to get COVID, but if you went to your local grocer, you would. How does that yeah. work? Uh, not too well, I tell you that. We do have someone with a question in on here. Their hand is raised. And uh, you're live on the air with the radio chickadee, Annie. Um, who am I speaking to? Hello, area code 424. Oh, hi, Annie. This is Bruce Everett. I'm your 2 o'clock guest. Oh, all right. So you called in a little early. Okay. We were I talking did. about... With, Ah, yes, thank you. I was, I, was, uh, I have, was just very interested in the discussion. Yeah, Karen uh, Schoen, she has her own little podcast also uh, called uh, The Prism of America's Education on America Out Loud, as well as being an advisor to the Florida Citizens Alliance, uh, which is interesting. But, you know, we were talking about the indoctrination and some of the things that they're teaching our kids today. So that actually dovetails into what we're talking about, because some of the things she discusses is, happens to be the, the climate change. Oh, boy. <laughs> and, and what they're trying to teach our kids today, the brainwashing. So Florida recently passed a Parents' Rights Act so that they can't brainwash the kids from pre-K through uh, third grade. So, you know. DeSantis, as Karen told us, signed that into law. So we're making headway with people like you and like Karen and like us and like Gregory uh, banging the drums. People are starting to wake up. That's the most important thing. And, And you guys are doing a great job because every time another person learns the truth, that's another person that we have that can spread the truth. And that's what's so important right now. As far as climate, think about this one. Part of Agenda 21 is depopulation. What is the most important gas that is necessary for food? CO2. So why are they telling us that it is a toxic gas and it's going to destroy the planet and it's part of the greenhouse gas when it is really only 0.03% of any gas, and it is necessary to produce food. No food, people starve, no people, and as Stalin said, no people, no problem. So this is all designed to do the same thing, which is depopulate the planet. That's their main, main goal. And why? Because 7 billion people are too hard for them to control, so they need to push it down. 
Well, Bruce, this is right up your alley, is it not? Because you are the director of the CO2 Coalition, uh, and you work side by side with my dear friend, such a sweetheart, Gregory Wrightstone. Yes, indeed. And what your guest just said is absolutely correct. You know, um, I've been studying this problem for about 25 years, and I think that future historians are going to scratch their heads and wonder how so many intelligent people bought into this idea. Here we have this life-giving molecule, carbon dioxide, and putting a little bit more of it into the atmosphere helps crops grow, and it also, by the way, increases the drought resistance of crops. And if you look at NASA photographs of the Sahara Desert, you can see the green uh, plants encroaching on the desert just at a time when we have additional uh, people that we need to uh, uh, to feed. So this is a very, very strange view, and people have decided that carbon dioxide is a uh, pollutant, and it really makes us uh, who've been looking at this problem just shake our heads. And by the way, I was just going to say the sad part of that is is that this is what our kids are being taught in school. So the root problem of all of this is coming right out of our schools. And that's what the focus should be, because when you teach kids um, all of these erroneous uh, processes, they grow up, and this is what they become. They believe it because they learned it in school. So we're taking an inert gas that is crucial to the life expectancy of individuals and telling our kids that it's poison. How is that? If that is not insane, but it's basically our fault for allowing this to be taught in the schools. How many people have ever looked at a a textbook of what their kids are learning? Not many, not enough. And yes, they're trying to hide them. But with all of the Freedom of Information Acts right now, and I, I tell everybody that's really the as much as I hate to say it, if COVID was going to have a good side, this was it. It made the parents aware of what was going on in school. And thankfully, more and more parents are taking their kids out of school because that's the only thing that they understand is money. And every child that goes to school represents a dollar figure. So if you keep your children out of school and go homeschool, which... 30% of the kids that are homeschooled are far superior than the uh, kids that are going to the traditional government indoctrination clinics. So if we want to do something, there's lots that we as individuals can do, and one of them is to take a look at what's going on in our schools. That's a huge amen. And, Bruce, I'm happy to say um, when I was – during my notes last night, and I pulled up the website, the CO2Coalition.org, um, I did the quiz. I scored 100. Oh, did you? Good I for did. you, Annie. I scored That's 100. Great. Unfortunately, you don't, you don't give people scores, but as I'm going through, I'm going, all right, decline, decline. Hint, folks, decline, decline. <laughs> well, and you'll score 100, too. One of the problems we've been having, I think, to pick up on the point that your guest was making, is that we've tried, people have tried to substitute expert opinion for science. Now, science is only one thing. 
It's testing ideas against the real world. And so far, and the same thing happened in COVID, by the way, you get people who stand up in public and say, look it, here's my PhD. I'm a scientist. I know. Do what I tell you. That's not science. Science is just the process of open dialogue and testing ideas against the actual uh, world. Now, the problem with the climate agenda is that it's really based on computer models. And these models have been around for 40 years, and they never make useful predictions about anything because the climate is simply too complicated. So our view at the CO2 Coalition is we don't want to tell people what to think. We want to give you information and make up your own mind. That's the way these issues really ought to be resolved. But when, whenever people hear someone stand up in public and say, I represent science, this is the truth, you have to believe me, be, be very worried. Gee, that brings um, a certain individual's brings a certain individual's yeah. name to mind, shall we say, Mr. Dr. Fauci. Um, yeah. Nope. <laughs> I wasn't going to mention any names, but there, <laughs> there is a real simil- there's a real similarity. And may I make a comment? Sure. To yeah. Your, your uh, wonderful analysis, which is absolutely correct. The problem is that most people today, because of their poor education, are incapable of making up their own minds. They have to be spoon-fed. And that's one of the problems that I find that we do, is that we don't give enough depth in our explanation, and then we don't give them an action that they can do after. That's the way they're trained. And if we want to get back and get an understanding to the people, then the best way to do that is work within their own framework. So they have a situation, they get, a, they get the facts, and then they're told what to do. What we have done um, on our side is we left off the part that says, and this is what you do, because we say, and make your own decision without realizing that they can no longer do that. Well, I, I think this is changing to a certain extent on the climate side, because one thing I find very interesting is this is no longer a theoretical problem for most people because they are now seeing the cost of energy rising so rapidly that it's hurting not only average people, but I really worry about people like truck drivers, taxi drivers, uh, Uber drivers, and people who rely on transportation for their uh, living and who are finding that all their revenue is going back into their gas tank. Now, the reason Mm -hmm. that happened, and if you give me just a minute to go back a couple of years, Before the pandemic started in 2019, the United States had finally gotten ourselves in a position where we were producing more oil and gas than we needed. That's something that those of us have been working in the energy industry a long time were hoping to get to and uh, worked very hard to get to. Now, during the pandemic, of course, we all stopped moving around. Nobody was flying. Nobody was driving. So the price of oil collapsed. Now, my expectation was that when the uh, pandemic was over, as we came out of that, U.S. oil and gas production would come right back up to where they were before, which basically meant that we had neutralized OPEC. If they tried to cut back production to raise the price, our people just raised the production and pushed the price back down. 
But what happened was that in the summer of 2020, uh, candidate Joe Biden declared war on fossil fuels. And he said at one of the Democratic candidate debates, there would be no place for fossil fuels in a Biden administration. Now, what, when you do that, what happens is that the oil companies say, well, wait a minute, do I dare put um, my shareholders' money into these new investments if the government is going to either uh, get in the way or take the profit away or somehow make it impossible for me to do this? So we didn't recover our oil and gas production the way we should have. And the result was that the price of oil started to go up. And this was long before uh, Putin invaded Ukraine. Now, the administration is trying very hard to put all of this on Vladimir Putin, and he certainly deserves some of it. But the real problem is that the president is beholden to the climate activists, whom he promised that he would uh, suppress U.S. production of fossil fuels. This is absolutely crazy. Yeah. And it's causing a great deal of pain to the average person. And what I'm hoping, getting back to your, your uh, guest's point, that people will wake up to this now and see that this is not some theoretical argument that's going on in academic communities. This is hurting the average person in a very serious way. Well, yeah, mostly it, this crowd hates the average person and they want to hurt them because they want the average person to be sucking on the government. What I thought would be really interesting is as they're talking about the elimination of fossil fuel, I would have said, okay, give me your glasses, give me your cell phone, mm -hmm. give me your exactly. tablet, give yes, me your car, yes. give me your clothing, give me this, give me that. Okay, now, now, now what are you going to do? And nobody well, does Karen, that, so people don't even uh, realize the importance of fossil fuel. No, uh, Karen, I, the way I put it, I, I do it one step further. I turn around and I challenge them outside of the air that you breathe when you're standing outside. Name me one thing that you interact in your life anytime, whether it's daily, monthly, yearly. Just name me one thing that does not involve petrochemicals. Oh, I eat organic food. Yeah, how did the seeds get to the farmer? You had to load it onto a truck, which required gasoline or diesel uh, and petrochemicals to make the truck to bring it to the farmer, who then used a tractor requiring, and you start from the very, every time they name something, you name the petrochemical that went into it, how it was influenced. They can't name a single thing, not a single thing, from the shampoo they wear, to their smart devices, to the clothing on their body, every single item in our lives require a petrochemical. It's simple. Am I looking at this correctly? Now, wouldn't that be nice if that was taught in school and they actually had an understanding of that because they really don't get it. They don't understand it. And that's been our major problem. So that's why they can say, oh, we'll get rid of fossil fuels. Well, like we just said, nobody equates it to all of the products that are necessary. And then the next question is, are you going to plug in your electric car? Where does electricity come from? Oh, it comes from a plug. <laughs> no, it doesn't. You need fossil fuel to create the electricity for your electric car. And also, I was thinking the other day, in Florida, we have hurricanes constantly. 
So you're on the road. You're going to get uh, evade the hurricane. The governor says evacuate, and you're sitting on the highway for several hours in the Florida wind and rain, and your battery dies. What can, what can are you going to go get to go get some juice so that you can juice up your electric car? How does well, that work? You know, <laughs> it's interesting when people talk about electric cars, and I hear this a lot out of Washington these days. The United States right now has about 250 million light vehicles, cars, SUVs, pickup trucks, 250 million. And there are roughly 1 million electric cars. And according to surveys, most of those electric cars are driven by young, upper-middle-class California males who think they're cool, and that's fine. And if somebody wants to drive a Tesla, that's okay with me, but don't make me pay for it. And -hmm. don't make me drive one. I like my car as it is, and so do most Americans. Uh, uh, Electric cars, in addition to the point that Karen made, they cost twice as much. Now, the government can subsidize a few of them, but they're not going to subsidize them for everybody. Mm -hmm. You know, this makes no Mm -hmm. sense at all. My guess is that our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren will all be driving cars powered by fossil fuels. If it's they possible. follow their plan, our grandchildren will not be driving anything because that's their real goal. They want elect, they want cars gone, period, and they want everybody relying on public transportation so that they control mobility. That's what they're driving at. They don't want us mobile because they can't control us. And in order for them to control us, they got to take away. What's the best way to take it away? Park that car in the garage because the gas is now $12 a gallon. So this is well, what they, my, they are doing this on purpose. This is what they my, are it's doing. It's my hope. It's my hope that the American people just won't put up with that. I hope, I hope so. I hope you're right. I really do. Yeah. I mean, I, I love living in suburbia. I, I, I want space around me. I don't want someone on top of me. I've lived in apartments. I'm sorry, I'm not an apartment dweller. I love my house on my little acre. But if you notice what they're doing is, you see this all the time, the sustainability communities. A sustainability community means that you walk to wherever you need to go or bicycle or take public transportation. And Karen is 100% right. They don't want you to have the freedom of mobility because that means when you leave your town or city and you go over to the next one, you're going to have an exchange of ideas. That's dangerous. They need to control what you see, what you think, what you hear. And, Bruce, I, this is what you are fighting with the CO2 coalition. But the, the attempt to control the message and redirect what the conversation actually is away from the truth, because the truth will kill it. It will be the deal killer but you are there fighting for the truth that's that is our hope annie we are we are basically trying to make sure that people have the information they need to understand what's actually going on here i guess i'm a little bit more optimistic than many people because i have a lot of faith in americans and i think most americans don't pay attention to this because they're busy with their families and their jobs and their lives but this is now being pushed in their faces and I think people will start to react to this uh, in, in a very serious way. I, I don't see Americans giving up their mobility, 
uh, giving up their freedoms. I just don't see us as a people doing this. Maybe I'm wrong, but our hope is that, you know, with, with better information and with a better public dialogue, the public is going to wake up and these kinds of problems that we've just been talking about won't come to pass. And maybe I'm just a little bit too optimistic, but that's my hope. Bruce, it is. may I add something? I would say that the last two years on COVID, I was surprised how many people gave up their freedoms and, um, you know, submitted to um, people like Dr. Fauci and this, this, um, this notion of, you know, not being around other people and um, wearing this um, tin diaper forever, even outside when there's nobody around you. And I've seen how this has has destroyed families because you have two sides, those who believe the government's view or version of COVID and then those who who are a little skeptic, you know, about it. So, I, like I said, I, some people will use their God-given brains and figure things out, but you got those out there that just follow whatever the line that the government put out, and that's scary that, to me. It, it is scary, but I think at least my sense of this is that more and more people are starting to say, if we look at COVID, for example. See, you know, the government's been telling us all these things, and a lot of the stuff they tell us isn't really right. So maybe I should make up my own mind and not just listen to what the government has to say. And I think um, in many cases, the uh, politicians have been behind the public in terms of trying to come out from under this uh, pandemic that people have finally got tired of. You know, I, I guess when people are scared at the beginning, they're much more willing to, as you said, give up their freedoms and follow the guidance. But after a while, people say, wait a minute, I'm not sure I can really trust these people to give me honest information. Maybe I better just make up my own mind. No, it, it's funny because I was in the grocery store the other day, and I'm just doing my shopping. Some guy, an older gentleman, stopped me and said, excuse me, I need, I need to ask a question. And I'm thinking, um, I don't work here, uh, but go ahead. <laughs> and... Then he hit me out of the blue, and the guy was an Air Force veteran. He goes, what is the policy in South Carolina dealing with COVID, meaning masks, vaccine mandates, things like that? And I says, we are an open state. And he looks around, and he goes, not a lot of people wearing masks. I said, sir, we are an open state. And he goes, we've been waiting to come down here for two years, but because of the vaccine mandates and traveling restrictions and so forth and the mask." We, were, we didn't travel because I'm glad, and they're staying here for a solid month. And I said, sir, I hope you end up moving here then. But that, <laughs> people want, want to return to a normal life. And I think that part of being a real American uh, and not a, a, a sheep is going to finally get ignited. And I think this upcoming midterm election is going to be the catalyst. I honestly do. So maybe I'm optimistic, too, like you are, Bruce. Well, I would agree with you, but I also hope that everybody that is going, thinks they're going to vote in the general election votes in the primary in order to get rid of the rhinos. Because if we want to flip anything and we put back the same criminals, 
then we're going to be in a worse position because they will believe they have the upper hand. I agree with you as far as there's more of us than them. The question is now, will more of us act? Will we act like it? And hopefully that is the big deal. So I hope everyone votes in their primary. And like you said in the beginning of the show, join your precinct. Get involved. Find out what's going on in your local community. And by all means, start going to your school board meetings if you have children in school. And even if you don't, you're a taxpayer. And teaching our children to hate America is not what we're paying for. No, it's funny because at the meeting I was at yesterday, one of the school board members were there. She happens to be fortunately very conservative. And as I was talking to her, she distinctly remembered... I don't have children, but I do participate in the school board and the county council meetings. Um, Distinctly remember my berating a couple of the board members because when I got up to speak and another friend of mine got up to speak, they snickered. These board officers snickered, and I stopped mid-sentence, and I berated them. How dare you? How dare you? Well, elections are coming up, and they're going to have consequences, so we're coming for you first. And for those who did not reprimand them for their behavior, the way they treat the taxpayer, the parents, the voters. We're coming for you next. And for those who did, we thank you. And then I apologize to the school superintendent saying, sir, we gave you this board to work with. We apologize. And that's the attitude we have to take. And, uh, Karen, I think you're right. You have to be engaged. But just don't sit there and complain. Do something. Write to your representatives, whether it's the dog catcher, the county council, uh, or even your state and federal representatives. Make your voice heard. Cause when they receive those letters and get those phone calls, it's noted. It is noted how many people called about what. So, Bruce, uh, this is the engagement we need, is it not? It absolutely is. And one of the reasons that I'm optimistic is I watched very closely what happened in Virginia. And in Virginia, even in very, very liberal Democratic places like Loudoun County, uh, parents finally started to stand up and say, wait a minute, uh, this isn't right. The school board is, is uh, running this uh, educational system as an indoctrination system, and we're not going to stand for it. By the way, when Governor Yunkin was elected, he reached out to the CO2 coalition to ask us for some help in dealing with the climate agenda. And we were absolutely delighted to do that. And we've been working very hard, and we're going to work in other states as well. Uh, Because I think what you're going to see is from the local level up to the state level, you're going to see a revolution in the next few years on science education, hopefully on broader education. But we can at least help on this particular part of it. Yeah, now, my state attorney general general was one of the ones that initiated the lawsuit against the EPA in their attempt to right. control every, any and every body of, body of water in the United States. So if you had a drainage ditch, the EPA wanted to control that. Uh-uh-uh-uh. That's not the purpose of the waters. The waters are lakes and rivers. That's it. And not, not my little koi pond in the backyard. That's not EPA property. No, sorry. And he's been going after things like that. So he may be someone you may want to reach out to. 
Well, we've been in touch with a lot of the state's uh, attorneys general, Annie, because the EPA also issued a few years ago which known, what's known as an endangerment finding about carbon dioxide. And we've been fighting this uh, along with a number of states' attorneys general in the courts because what the EPA is supposed to do is to identify those chemicals in the atmosphere that can make you sick, and there are some. We have carbon monoxide, we have smog, we have particulates, we have nitrous oxide and sulfur and these kinds of things. But to basically say, here's a computer model that says that someday carbon dioxide may affect the climate, and therefore we're going to control it, we believe is so outside the intent of the law that it really has to be struck down by the courts, and we're hopeful that that will happen. Oh, don't forget the methane gas. <laughs> They're well, trying yeah, to is ovine just... and ovine flatulence. <laughs> Come on. Well, you know, one of the things that drives me crazy, I'm an economist, Annie, and if people would just look at the numbers, <laughs> life would be a lot easier. You know, um, when uh, people talk about putting putting up wind uh, turbines and solar energy, mm. which are vastly more expensive than fossil fuels. And if you look at the amount of money that we have put into those re that renewable energy and what it's contributed to the economy, the, the dis difference is so bad, <laughs> it's just absolutely amazing. What we're basically doing is wasting a lot of money putting up, uh, you know, solar panels and things like this that, that don't really help you at all. And the reduction of carbon dioxide carries no benefit whatsoever to anybody. It's just a dead waste of money. And it's not their money. It's your money and my money and Karen's money. Mm -hmm. It is. <laughs> that happens to be the truth. And they don't realize that how toxic those solar panels are and the batteries that go with them. So you're not doing anything to help the environment. You're just creating even more toxicity, correct? Well, th there's, a, there's a lot of argument about, um, you know, these devices because one of the things that we teach our little kids in school is, hey, the sun is free. Well, that's not true. The, the sunlight's free, but the machinery that converts sunlight into electricity is extremely expensive and very difficult to manage. And it doesn't perform very well. You know, it's interesting. I live on Cape Cod in Massachusetts. And I drive up to Boston fairly frequently. It's about 100 miles. And along the mm -hmm. way is one single huge 2.5 megawatt wind turbine. And I have never seen it turning. And I'm not I'm sure why that is. You know, it's funny because oh, I'm not going up after after I moved because I lived in Waltham and worked downtown in Tremont Street in Government Center. Oh, and you did? That must have been going up. Yeah. So I, I left there in 86, and I don't recall it being up there at the time. So that's something no, new. This one, but, this one is, is new, and it's around um, Kingston on off Route 3. Uh -huh. Oh, interesting. Interesting. I try to avoid going up north. <laughs> I like it down here. I may not have been bored in the south, but I got here as soon as I could. One of my favorite things. Karen, I'm sorry I cut you off. Go ahead. No, that's okay. I was just going to ask them. I think it's a good idea to also ask these people, how are these panels made? You need fossil fuels. How do you make the windmills? How do you make the turbines? You need fossil fuels. So who's doing what to whom? 
and how are they intending of making these solar panels if they are now going to eliminate fossil fuel? So what they're doing does not make sense. And it isn't just that the science was done with computer models. Everything that we have right now is done with computer models, and it's called the precautionary principle. And what they have done with the precautionary principle is that they plug the numbers in that they want in their computer so that the computer will come out with the answer that they want because they also work on everything is outcome-based. So they know the outcome that they want before they do it. And it's, kind, it's foolish for us to think that they don't know what's going on. They know exactly what's going on. They know the harm that it's causing, and they are 100% behind it because to them, the individual is meaningless. You're only as good as the group you belong to. That's all they care about. Can they manipulate your group? You as an individual, they could care less. And this is, this is the hardest thing that when I was teaching and when I was teaching Agenda 21, this was the hardest concept for most people to understand is that, yes, they are really doing this on purpose. They really want America to be destroyed. They really don't want Americans to have any freedoms at all unless they are granted by the government. Otherwise, they might have to share it with other countries, and other countries might be jealous of America. Remember when Obama went to Kenya and he told the college graduates, don't expect that you're going to get a car and air conditioning like the Americans have? That's what this is all about. So when they say we're going to level the playing field, what they mean is they're going to take America and push it down so that it becomes just like the other third world countries or the European countries whereby they control everything and the individual rights are meaningless. Well, unfortunately, it's, it's the ends justify the means of the, of the theory. Bruce, we're, we're seeing this, especially with these climate alarmists. The ends justify the means. So by any means necessary to sell a lie and convince people it's the truth. But you do some excellent, excellent work with the CO2 Coalition. And we definitely have to have you back on again because there's so much more to discuss on that way, especially since you also, you know, you're – one of your field of expertise is in the oil industry with what is going on. And we're waiting for a conservative to finally get back into the White House to open back up the pipelines, open the spigots, and get America energy independent once again. Am I looking now, at this correct? That correctly? would be great. Annie, this was great fun, and I really appreciate your asking me on the program. Oh, it has been my pleasure. And uh, I'd, I'd send a hug over to Gregory, but I think you'd feel a little awkward hugging him on my behalf. <laughs> yeah, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> Just say duck when he goes to smack you. <laughs> All right, Karen, where can people find you? Uh, they can go to Karen Schoen, and that's K-A-R-E-N-S-C-H-O-E-N.com. And find all my podcasts and articles. I write articles for multiple um, magazines, online magazines. And thank you for uh, talking about my radio show, which is called The Prism of America's Education. 
and that airs on Saturday and Sunday at 1 o'clock Eastern and 9 o'clock, 9 p.m. Eastern, and that is on the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network, and uh, you can just go to americaoutloud.com at that time, and you will hear the show, and please visit the Florida Citizens Alliance. We've done a tremendous amount of work, and regardless of what state you are in, we hope that you will share our information and push it through in your state and give us your information that we can push through in our state. We want to work with what works. So thank you so much for having me on your show today. And keep up the wonderful job you're doing. Our pleasure. Okay. Our pleasure, Karen. Thank you, and God bless the hard work you do. And check her out, karenshow.com. And, Bruce, people can find you at the CO2coalition.org, correct? You're the director. That's correct, Annie. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you're a specialist on in the website, global oil. a lot of good. Oh, I'm sorry. A lot of good references, no, gonna... yes. And... The, if you go on the, the website, CO2coalition.org, you'll find a lot of good information, and uh, it'll, it'll help people understand what's going on. Yeah, and they can take the quiz and see how they did, because I tell you, you you should have had a score. and There should be like a little scoreboard to see who scores the highest, (laughs) who's more more knowledgeable. And I swear, I was was laughing as I'm going through, and it's question after question, and you scroll down and you see why you had either the correct or wrong answer. So not only do you tell them yes or no, but what the correct answer is, and explains and debunks a lot of the myths, and it's excellent site. And the resources that are on there... Is a must have. As a matter of fact, you still have the app, correct? I got a new phone. I think I uploaded it to the new phone. Yes, great. Yeah. App, yes, app. absolutely. And I'm going to tell him that you scored 100 on the quiz. He'll be very happy. <laughs> well, I told right. you, uh, I was the first person to ever interview him when his book first came out. And uh, he was at my tea party meeting uh, here in South Carolina. So uh, we, we, we have a good relationship. And he Great. went from a, just an idea on a book to the CO2 Coalition, and I looked at the number of people that are now working with you guys. It is phenomenal. And you guys are expanding and growing your expertise base. So thank you so much, we're, Bruce. And we will definitely have you hard. back on. Thank you, Annie, and, and thank you, Curtis. All right. Curtis went to uh, go talk to our other guests. Check it out, CO2Coalition.org and KarenShone.com. Ah, but uh, we have a new guest in on the line, and Curtis is talking to him, so we'll have him back up here in a split second. And let's bring on running for Florida uh, House seat out of District Number Seven, Tuan Lee, who is a Vietnamese American and a, a proud American citizen who wants to keep our republic. So, welcome onto the show, Tuan. How are you today? I'm very good. Thank you very much. And uh, hello, everyone. And thank, thank you for bringing me on uh, your radio today. It's my pleasure. Oh, it is our, our pleasure. Our pleasure. Um, you are an immigrant here to the United States. Uh, when did you come over? Um, I came over when I was 12 years old um, in 92, 93, um, time frame. So I left uh, Vietnam because of communist matter. And I'm here in the U.S. for the land of freedom and opportunity. So you, you had first-hand experience under communism and the control it has over your everyday life. I, but Go ahead. 
Oh, no, no, go ahead. I think I had a lot of, uh, uh, even then, um, back then when I was young, little, um, 12 year old, but I had a lot of bad experience uh, under communism. Yeah, and here they're having, uh, we were discussing with one of our other guests, things they're putting in place to lead us down that road, to take away our individuality, our freedoms, and to limit our expectations. So the less we expect, the less we seek to find, uh, if you understand what I mean. So um, you can't buy that car because it's not sustainable. So you have to go into this type of a car, which will limit how far you can go and where you can go. But then we're going to come up with these things that it's going to give you a social rating, which will depend upon whether or not you're able to buy a house or even buy that car. And if you can't afford to buy that house, then you're going to be forced into affordable housing in a sustainable neighborhood. And here we seek into not just communism, but also fascism. Am I seeing how our, com- our country is starting to devolve instead of evolve? Yes, um, I see our country is moving to the wrong direction in the past um, uh, uh, decade as well, and especially recently. Um, that's why it's motivated me to run for the office because um, because people don't understand a lot of Americans they they don't understand the values of opportunity and and and, and freedom of what you want to do um, what you what you choose your path and uh, socialism is is what I see um, it happen right now because like what I say affordable housing. Um, you have mentioned affordable housing is only a, like something that that limits, but but if you have unlimited access, unlimited of opportunity, unlimited of uh, of thing that you can do, you don't want to fall in affordable because you wanna you wanna go above and beyond. And I mean, um, I I see a lot of thing is we've been pushing American um, back with with um, social um, socialism right now, a lot of people get confused by that. A lot of Americans get confused uh, socialism, but socialism and communism are exactly the same. It's just another term to, to say it. it. It is, and that's what people fail to understand. And we start to go down that road. They have these new things now that the Federal Reserve has put into place called ESGs, where they give you a social rating based upon whether or not you're environmentally uh, awoke or if you're um, uh, socially, a social justice awoke, you know, they push all these things. And if you don't hit that score, you're not getting that loan for that house that you want. You are stuck in a crappy little apartment. And instead of buying that beautiful, lovely luxury car, you're stuck with this little tiny compact thing and you can't get the loans, you can't get jobs, and then now they control you. This is this is what we're looking at. They were trying this under COVID, and they were starting to see that yeah. it was succeeding until the American spirit kicked in and said, nope, let's get back to normal. You know, from from the day one, that when I see the, the um, I call it China virus, um, from the day one when I see the China virus happen, um, I see it the American government try to control uh, uh, the people um, right away. Um, for the whole entire um, uh, China virus is a setup, is a plan. Um, they, they plan it happen. Uh, I see that before they announce a shutdown, because when when thing is about to happen in Asia, and, and a, a little bit thing is, is 
going on. And I see, I feel like something is going to happen because it's the same time with election year, and they and 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 the Democrats try to um, take away the the, the bubble, um, uh power. I mean, take away um, opportunity, and then they try to scare Americans because um, when before American shutdown, they the China Mac uh, virus so scary because a, a lot of Americans don't understand. Even nowadays, or before the uh, the China virus happened. Um, everybody wear masks in Asia, like especially like China and Vietnam. They wear masks every day on the street, and the way they make it happen, I mean, the way they make it look scary when when the government come to people house and, and and take them to the hospital, make them look terrible and things like that. It is a whole bunch of setup. Uh, I see that clearly from day one. If and uh, a lot of a lot of um, uh, a lot of post that I post at the time on my Facebook, my personal Facebook. It has been removed, but I post I post more over the place. It's, it's, it's a scam. It's 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 it's, it's try to um, it's a fake. I mean, they they fake in and they make it up more bigger than it and it's supposed to be. And I, until now, I see is clearly the China virus is a setup, and they they can plan. They can put it any way they want to. Um, I can I can point out right right away um, when the um, when um, the, the virus is. It, it's begin from the beginning. Why Italian is it hit the, the most? Because China want the benefit from from Italy. They want the pork there. They want they want to control the economic there. So that's why you see is it moving big in Italy. But toward to American election, American get more more case more uh, uh, problem. But no everybody. Um, had give a good credit for Vietnam is the number one country know how to control um, virus, but in fact it's not true because the virus is, is they never send it there. Why, when the whole entire world slowed down when election is over, everything is slowed down, and and Vietnam start to get hit with uh, with with the China virus because now they know it's a time for China to control Vietnam. They want they want to expand the China Sea. So that's why the virus has happened to Vietnam in the last six months, and they shut down, and Vietnam have no idea how, how to control it. They don't know how to stop it. They don't know how to control it. But a year before that, globally, have to shut down because they don't know what to control, what to do. And then Vietnam has been no country um, uh, well control the, the, the China virus. So the whole thing is, for me, is the setup of when they want to take whatever country down. I mean, the same thing with India. How come right after American we um, we lost the um, the election, India is a first country get 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 all the virus because China and India had a conflict um, right before it during um, yeah. right before it, during during um, during um, the the election. So that's why at the time um, President Trump backed uh, India. So that's why it's nothing happened, but. Literally right after. Same thing with, with Philippines. You know, all that conflict right there in the China Sea, it happened after uh, the whole entire world slowing down. So, I mean, thank you for mentioning about the, the China virus, but that's, a, that's what I see the whole thing. And Americans get scary, and that's how they take away the power. They, have, they take away the opportunity, and they try to push the people, um, um, you know, depending on the government for everything. Uh, you depend on your credit for buying this, buying that. It, it, you know, it's so much dependent on the government that how communism won.
they want the people to depend on them. Well, you know, China has a way of infiltrating in areas where people, or the average person out there, least expects. And I, I've always commented, try walking into Walmart, or as I call it, Wally World, and pick something up that was not made in China. I would say 75% of the stuff that Walmart sells is made in China. Go on to Amazon, and Amazon has a partnership with China. Uh, try to buy something on Amazon that is not being made or shipped from China. Uh, it's going to be very hard. and You have to re- do the research. You may pay a few dollars more, but it's worth it if you get it made in America. And the things that people have, are unaware of, but these are obvious. These are obvious things. And every time I see someone walking around with a KN95 mask, I shake my head. I says, why are you wearing a Chinese mask for the Chinese virus? A mask that does absolutely nothing. And the people are being fooled. And, And they're in our schools. They're in our businesses. They are buying up a a food processing plant here in the United States so they can control our food and they control our ports. Matter of fact, we've got our Navy that can't even go into its own Navy port up in New England. Uh, How many buildings do they own? You ever see a map of the United States and a little red dot from every area of every state where China owns property? They're everywhere. They're in our government. Uh, didn't we have uh, someone, a certain congressman that was sleeping with a Chinese spy? So you know, you know China, but Americans don't know China. See, that that's a problem that Ameri- a lot of America um, don't understand China. I, they, they, they know China by product. By, by, they, buy, they know China by food. They know China by, um, by, by um, uh, different stuff. And muscle are and things like that, but they don't understand China cut CCP. They try to take over the world. They try to control globally, and then now um, they try to build a silk and bell road. This silk and bell right. road is, is financial trap um, globally. Mm-hmm. Now, in, in this year, early this year, they tried to buy so many farms in America, and recently too. So that's why they want to control American food, not only material supply. What you see at Walmart, it's a shame. I mean, a shame for American because we don't have any manufacturer that can produce uh, a lot of uh, products. Because all the politicians, uh, like what you say, many of them have sleep with with, with China dough, um, or, or or you know, or taking money on the table. Because because I know China is lobbyists in D.C. and many of them is trapped. You know the best way. The best way is, is to to clean our house. Is to get rid of all the people who've been in the politics too long. We have to bring in new blood. Um, bring in people who know China. I mean, not only know China but understand China, so we can clean the house. You know, it is it, it, now they try to trap as many as politicians that they can. Try to lobby as many politicians they can, so they can control uh, American. Um, uh, economic, you name it. So, so when yeah. you walk walk into Walmart, you walk into Walmart, you say like, I have to say, ninety nine percent everything in Walmart is is made in China. I mean, the only thing that I can see made in America is Zippo. I mean, pretty much that's it. So everything everything else is made in China, and and our politicians don't care about the regulation. They keep our regulation so high and so tough. American company is no way 
they can comply. A small business, they cannot, they cannot comply with all the regulation. So, so in, in, in other hand, um, the regulation, they, don't, they did not apply any regulation for the import, but they push a lot of, a lot of regulation for American companies. It doesn't matter if small one or big one. So that's a big problem that we have. Um, that 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 American cannot manufacture to compete anything, even a paper cup. We, we cannot compete with a paper cup. So so I mean, how can how can American um, um, manufacturing to be grow? How can our economy to restore? It, it it's really hard that if we don't remove the the, the people who've been in in power too long, and if we don't bring a young blood with uh, more like national, um, uh, nationalism because um, it's a time for Americans to stand up, Americans to, be, to, to take over the house, and, and we have to change the regulation. We have to change the economic. We have to fix our internal before we're talking about other stuff. So I, I, see, I see so much problem. Uh, but first thing first, for me, it's it term limited have to happen. Stop the China influence. Stop the China stealing. Because we are un- we aren't safe here in America. China is it's stealing not only technology, American technology or military technology, but also stealing our personal identity. And in, and how many politicians out there understand about cybersecurity? I understand about the technology run behind that. Even the AR class. Even see a lot of a lot of young people. Think TikTok is a cool, um, um, oh, I mean, no. a, a, a cool. But it they collect our information every day. Now they understand the behavior of America, and they try to. I mean, uh, they try to figure out how to ruin American life too. So I mean, no, so it, many, it, many, it, many, many, many. No, you, 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 when you say TikTok, you get me on a tear because everyone's posting all these videos and everything. And you're right. TikTok is the Chinese Communist Party, period. That's who put TikTok up there, to see our behavior, to see what makes us happy, what makes us tick, what makes us mad, by, based upon what you post. So why don't you just turn around, surrender yourself completely to Communist China, because that's what you're doing when you go on TikTok or any other platform China is putting out there to steal your information. And you said stealing our identity? They've been taking our DNA because they own Ancestry and several other of these mm-hmm. other home kits that you take for your DNA. You mail it into the lab. That information is mm-hmm. not secure. A lot of that ends up in communist China. Why do you think that the COVID virus was designed to attack your DNA? Because they've already had samples of Americans' DNA. They already have that. Yep. They're going in and stealing your medical records. They're going in and stealing your social identities. They're stealing your, your financial information. And we're dupes. See, we're dumb. They, they, use, they, use, they use TikTok to do the branch what too. So now people start to fall into um, a cool app, and then they, they try to implement a lot of different stuff. I mean, now, I mean, including a, I mean, uh, AI, um, artificial intelligence technology, implementing to TikTok, to understand and brainwash people is easy. I mean, with all the technology nowadays, if they want to brainwash American, and Americans don't understand the third world country, don't understand China communism. 
They don't understand anything. They um, they don't know anything. They think it's cool. They think, oh, okay, um, it's 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 a global sharing, um, the new world order. That is that is something that we are moving in the wrong direction because the new world order is a way to ruin American and 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 and, and other country, European country as well. So so that's why. I see so many things wrong, and I, and I can point out. And when I point things out, I have solutions how to fix them together. Uh, I mean, um, we have to fix American internally within the House. Um, so I had when I start to start to run for Congress, I already work on my plan of what I have to do if I'm honored to be selected. I'm not like waiting for until I win because you have only two years. How many people, how many candidates out there really working on their solution? I don't think I don't think anybody, but I don't have time. I'm running out of time. Two years too too short for me until I mean um, to 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 get a plan together. So I'm already working on my plan. I know what I have to do if I'm honored to be selected because China is already in our land, in our home. They already in D.C. They already there to ruin uh, American politicians, and and um, a lot of a lot of young people, young politicians, they don't understand China as well as well as like uh, uh, other other politician is already bought by China. You know, people don't always look at what's going on in the United States as being influenced by outside forces, whether it's China or Russia or Iran or Islamic terrorists, and anyone ask why the vast majority of Islamic terrorists were trained in Moscow, in the Soviet Union? Hmm. Why was China so happy when we allowed Afghanistan to fall? It gave them an access into the Middle East through Afghanistan to the precious rare earths we need for a lot of our smart devices, these electric cars that they're touting so much on. And didn't Joe Biden say yeah. that by 2035, everyone will be driving an electric car made in China? So the influence that, that, I mean, that, giving them access to the entire Middle East. Then they give control of Muslims, the, the Muslim caliphate to China. And they're happy to get China's money. And we've got a common enemy. It's the United States, the great Satan. And they don't see the big picture of what's happening. It's influence yeah. on Antifa, yeah. Black Lives Matter, yeah. critical race theory, yeah. all with roots in Marxism. Yeah. yeah. See, that's another thing that, that thank you for, for bringing up, Ray Earth. Ray Earth is a very important part of, um, uh, of uh, micro, I mean, uh, 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 industrial um, technology industry. Because China is controlling the Ray Earth right now. And they, 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 they take over everything and they take all the military um, technology. They took all, they already took all the, 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 uh, the, um, the technology that we had there in Afghanistan and the resources that we have and, and things like that. Because rare earth is very, is a key to nowadays technology. Because every manufacturer, um, of the, um, of the technology, um, the, 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 the like Intel AMD, it depended on the rare earth. And China has the majority of produced rare earth. So now, if you if you pay attention to the aerospace industry, few weeks, um, Russia don't want to sell a rocket to America 
and 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 send a message to America. Hey, American, you must use the uh, broomstick for to the to the space. I mean, going to space. I mean, thank you, Elon Musk, had to launch 47 um, um, Starlink by using Falcon 9, and and he he mocked back. He said, "This is American uh, American broomstick." Look at this way. American cannot depend on other country for space industry when we are one of the first country went to moon and then beyond and now we have to rely on Russia for 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 um for, for a rocket engine. And I mean that's that's unacceptable. Now we depending on China for the rare earth to make all the technology for us. We we cannot we cannot have that happen anymore. Now we have to make Americans stronger, bring the economic back and manufacture in America. And we have to use other resource to bring our technology back because later China will will have a lot of AI technology um, uh, released in a few years and will push American back to ancient time. So we we have mm-hmm. to expand our technology. We have to depend in on our own for our technology uh, for for uh, rare earth. We have to get an alternate, uh, alternate solution. We have to go to Mars or beyond to to get different mirror, to get different um, 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 research, to bring it to Earth so we can depend on our own supply. We don't depend on other people for anything um, to 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 make our country stronger. Because right now, if China say no more no more rare Earth to America, we done. We cannot have airplanes. We cannot have um, any technology. So yeah, we would we wouldn't have this show. Yeah, we like, like, we'd uh, not have the show. Yeah. So so Come so on. I mean yeah. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but um, having origins in that part of the world and knowing how China is, and knowing that we have a weak president, do you think the Chinese um, government will try to make a move on Taiwan and retake that? From from my belief, Taiwan won President Trump to win the second term so they can declare independence. And that is the only opportunity they will have if President Trump elected for second term. And when President Trump lost for Biden, and it's turned down, I mean, Taiwan a dream, because now... Taiwan cannot do anything when no one backs them. I mean, every country wants to have their own um, legislation, want to have their own nation, want to be on their own freedom. But Taiwan is one of the countries should have all the I mean, independence for a long time, not just now. So their hope is it's gone. So now they, 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 can, they can declare independence because China will invade them. And and look at what what happened. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I, I said it, 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 it's a frightening thing for these people. And, you know, here, because Biden was elected, country after country withdrew their support for Taiwan. And now there's only a small yes, handful that's... that are standing behind Taiwan. And it's not enough to repel a Chinese invasion. 
So that's why the weakness of Biden administration is the weakness of Biden right now that no one uh, will stand for. I mean, even even America, who got, which country going to trust American anymore? Because first we withdraw from Afghanistan, now the Ukraine, and then in Taiwan, people. I mean, who gonna who gonna respect America with with, with a weak leadership? Because we are as American. I mean, uh, we're the strongest country in the world, and now we are really weak on almost everything. We we have to we first we have to depend on 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 China for almost everything right now. That is unacceptable, and we depend on Russia for space industry. That's not unacceptable. Now, no, nobody stand for our our life. What happened to America um, um, when we when 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 we are in a global state? Nobody listens to American right now because we don't we we cannot we cannot um, protect our our life. How can they respect us? No, and we're going to go the and same then, way that Canada is going if if we don't wise up. Because you saw the trucker rally; they sent the police after them. Mm-hmm. One of the leaders, she had not committed a single crime, but they arrested her and held her for quite a long time. Finally, just re- recently released her this past week. Finally, but she can't say or do anything, so her total freedom is gone. And if she even tries to organize anything, she'll be right smack back in in jail again. And we're heading down that road. You see it. I see it. And it's up to people like you and I to stop it. You by running for office, me by getting the word out there and getting people riled up and ready to, to take action. Elect the correct person into that seat that's going to do the job that we, the American people, need. And that's why you are running. And your website is your name, Tuan Lee, T-U-A-N-L-E, Tuan Lee, the word for, Tuan Lee for Congress.com, correct? Yes, yes, that's correct. And, uh, and, 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 and that's why my big concern right now is safe America and America first. Because American is unsafe right now, and if American unsafe, globally will fall apart too. Like what you mentioned earlier, Taiwanese is, is, is really dependent on us a few years ago, but now they have they, they don't know who they can depend on. And if China if China invades Taiwan tomorrow, and all the technology that we have um, in Taiwan is China on them, like all all the technology that 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 Taiwan um, assembly for us making for us. Um, it, it will be for um and un, under China and China will control it. They they will take all the technology. They will take everything, and and we can if we cannot control our own technology, and we cannot um have a strong uh, military because nowadays military is based on a technology, and every every mm-hmm. piece of technology that we have in the military now is either made in Taiwan or China, and if Taiwan is is, is under control by China. We're done. We we cannot have a military um, operate uh, by by China and then go. I mean, and compete with them. That's impossible. And and uh, yeah. And people is concerned. People concerned about um, the software. I mean, software is just one thing. Hardware is is the majority part of it. You can you can you can develop a software any way you want to. But where the hardware come from? Where all the bios mm. come from? It's all come from China, so they can just implement a, a little code 
inside the hardware, and it's not get activated until the system is, get, is up and run. We, we cannot control by that if we don't manufacture the hardware and if Taiwan get 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 invaded. So I mean, it's so many problems that we have to win the yeah. house, and and we have to win the house, and then we have to get a new blood in people who know um, the value of this country, people who know. Um, how important of, 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 of the freedom and opportunity of this country. And they, they have to understand China because China don't do what they say. They, want, they just want to do whatever they want. I mean, they don't even care for their own people. How can they care for, for the world? That's impossible. Well, Tuan Lee, I wish you a lot of good luck in your run. We're going to have to have you come back on again. Again, your website's TuanLeeForCongress.com. There's a link on the, on the show page here so people listening, uh, even in the archives, can click on it. And you'll take a donation, even as little as $1, to help you with your campaign. And they can go on there. Hopefully they can give like 100 or more. But if, if all they can afford is $5 or a dollar help your campaign because now these seats in the midterm it's no longer a state election it is actually a nationwide election because we are fighting to to bring our republic back to bring back the freedom and liberties of our founding fathers thank you sir and god bless you so so, so i want to send this Take message care, to thank you for all right, all right thank you thank you very much all right thank you all right take care tuan lee again check out his website uh, and donate to his campaign, TuanLeeForCongress.com. Now, i got a special buddy, known her for quite a long time. Um, she came up with us as we uh, were forming the Tea Parties back in 2009-2010, and she was also instrumental in bringing to light the attack of the IRS on our groups and other conservative groups. Um, I want to welcome Diane Hardy. Good afternoon, Diane. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Hey, good afternoon, Ann. Thank you so much for having me on today. Oh, it is our pleasure, our pleasure. Now, it's funny because we started off the show talking to Karen Schoen, and we got into the ESGs. And you sent me a message that I finally saw today about a new column you have coming out. Now, to let people know who you are, you are now the founder of a group called Mom and Pop Alliance, and people can find it at momandpopalliance.org, which is a small business advocacy group. Um, that is what you, your love is with. And you formed this about maybe two years ago, if I remember correctly? Yes. I've been a small business owner. I have 38 employees, and um, my business has been up and going about five and a half years. And about two years ago, I started um, and formed the Mom and Pop Alliance of South Carolina, and it is, I volunteer my time along with other business owners. It's founded by business owners for small business owners in the state of South Carolina. And we work at the state level of government advocating for small business owners and also helping to educate small business owners what's happening down in Columbia. Well, for us, it's up in Columbia. <laughs> so well, that's, we should have you come. Yeah. I, I, I'm from Greenville, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for you, it's down. For me, it's up. Yes. Yes. Because we we had Alan Wilson down here uh, yesterday. Uh, I I just love that man. Anyway, I he was. We were talking. Someone had asked him a question about ESGs, and so she started the ball rolling. So I think they're going to start looking into it. But tell us about this article that you were writing about and how it affects 
not only just big businesses, the woke businesses, but now small businesses and now even individuals like you and me. Yes. Well, speaking of Alan Wilson, I I was next to him at a luncheon uh, about a week ago or so, and I did get all this information to him. He said he knew some knew of them, but um, I got I was able to get a lot of what I'm going to discuss with you into his hands, and we were able to chat a little bit, so that was great. And um, so yeah, so what I did is um, there's an article up on Fitz News, and it it'll it'll called Guest Column, Alerting South Carolina to the Dangers of ESGs. And that can be viewed at Fitz News or also on our Mom and Pop Alliance Facebook page. And in that article, when I started, I've been watching ESGs for about two years, but I was seeing it, you know, all on the corporate end, and I wasn't really sure how to put the pieces together. And I think there's still a lot of dots to be connected. But I've read three books on the topic and a lot of articles, and also I'm starting to to get – it's a very complex web, like everything, very deep. And you start looking into it, and you pull the thread, and you're like, wow, this rabbit hole goes a lot deeper than I expected. So I don't even think I've reached the end of it even after the time I've put in. But I was able to, I think, give a nice, concise um, article for people to read and at least get the gist of what's going on. Originally, my concern was that, wow, this could someday be applied to individuals, and that would be a pretty scary thing because it's basically a social credit scoring system for companies, for banks and for big companies. And But I found out now that it's actually not someday in the future going to be applied to individuals, but it's actually being applied to individuals now. And I can get into the details of that if you'd like right now, or I didn't know if you had some questions. You want me to just get in, get into it, or oh, dive to it, girl, dive into it. Okay, all right. So ESGs, as many people may know, is a scoring system that's based on three kind of leftist causes: environmentalism, environmental, um, social justice, and governance. And when they mean governance, they actually mean the governing of your company. Like they want to be able to decide. Um, the board, the diversity makeup of your board and things like that. So many, um, so it's, but on the individual level, the way they're using it is it's very similar to a credit score. But instead of rating your credit worthiness, it rates a person's ESG risk. And so many mainstream financial institutions, they're creating this new platform centered around these ESG scores. And it's going to include new rules, and it's going to tie your individual ESG score to your ability to secure lending. And what's shocking is they're not even hiding it. I mean, um, now here I'm going to quote just a sentence out of an article. It's Impact Investor from February of 2022. And it says, while this may sound like tales out of China, it is a system that is, in fact, being implemented in the U.S. and soon many other nations. So they acknowledge that it kind of sounds like it comes from China, but they're saying, you know, it's here. Um, so what they'll do is they'll look at a variety of a whole plethora of metrics. So they're going to look at your spending history. They're going to look at um, what charities you support. They're going to, well, they want to track your personal impact on the environment. So that's going to mean, um, you know, the food consumption, how much uh, energy you're using, miles you travel on your car, your investment, 
cryptocurrency profile. They want to be able to look at all of these things and then give you some type of score. And it's you just have to think of it just like a credit score. And, you know, if you go through life with a bottom, you know, very low credit score, it's a lot harder for you to secure housing, to secure lending, to get a car loan, anything. And that's how this will be. So it's really pretty shocking and terrifying that it's already occurring. And my brother said to me, he said, oh, I just read your article. And on the exact same day, I found out that Allstate gave me a credit rate, not a credit rating, um, a rating, whatever you want to call it, four out of ten. And he said, I don't know how that could be because I pay all my bills on time. I have no credit. I actually pay my insurance a year ahead, and I've never had an accident. So how can I be a four? And he said they couldn't explain it to him. So now what I'm doing is I'm diving into the terms and conditions. You know those, you know those things that you click on the phone and say, yeah, I accept the terms and conditions, and none of us ever read them. I think it's mm. all buried in there where it says you can look at my email history. You can look at my social media. You can look at – I mean, I haven't – I'm starting to go down that route, so I can't say – I can't say factually all of that for sure, but I think that's where we're going to find why – how they're legally able to look into your entire life. Wow, that is scary. Because you're right, no, no one ever reads the rules and conditions because they're like about 30, 40, 50, some, 100 pages. And by the time you get through all the gobbledygook, you still have no idea what the heck you just signed. Yes, and that's why, I mean, I haven't gotten into figuring all that because this is just, this is really fast moving that this is all coming to light. It's kind of like CRT. We found out a little bit and then we found out more and more and more as time went on. So I'm going to get into that, but I have a feeling that's how they're able to. Well, they said a lot of the information that they use to develop this score is on public platforms. So, you know, that they're allowed to look into and that possibly we sign away a lot of our privacy when we um, when we sign those contracts. So, um, and so, like, there's this quote, so... Green Business Bureau is a magazine. It says a strong – so you're wondering why are they doing this. Well, let me back up before I get into Green Business Bureau. So this explains why we are seeing corporate wokeism everywhere. There are really three main reasons a company is um, going to be – is uh, why they're going woke. One is that they're, they're just true believers in climate change and social justice. So that's for some of them. For others, it kind of cloaks them in righteousness to hide their other atrocities, such as, you know, slave labor. So they can talk about women's rights and all of that and cloak themselves in diversity and all while they're using slave labor. And for, I think, probably many others, it's just for economic survival. Um, As governments and banks hold more and more control over them in this really warped public-private partnership, um, they, just like the individuals, they are being graded on their score. So they are graded on their score as a company and also the customers that they have. And for them to secure lending or to get permits from the government or um, other things, they need a good score. So they want customers that have high scores, and they themselves want to try to obtain a high score in the way they're conducting their business. Now, wait, hang on a second. We have, um, 
we have right now individuals who are suing companies because uh, they don't support same-sex marriages, so they won't make that wedding cake or they won't do that website. However, companies can now deny you access to their goods and services if your ESG score is not satisfactory. Is this what I'm hearing? Yes, you got it right. Um, Lenders will use this system to choose who they will extend services and credit to. And the reason they're doing this is because they themselves are being graded according to these ESG standards. So if I go into Lowe's and my ESG is low and Lowe's wants people with high ones, they will not sell me that electrical cord or that lawnmower because I don't have the proper ESG score. So it can then devolve into something as bad as that? I mean, possibly. Right now I see it more as you would um, have a harder time getting a mortgage. You may have, or, or a car loan, or like my brother, he was his, his was related to insurance on his boat. So right now I see it more related to lending and um, possibly insurance because the insurance companies – they, it's, it's really stemming from the big banks. The big banks are the ones who are carrying this in government. And so, and I'll, I'll get into how government's tied in in a minute. So you, the, the big banks are telling the insurance companies, if you take on people with low ESG scores, you have less chance of getting, you're not going to get as good of a percentage from us or you're going to have a harder chance securing lending. So it's coming from the big banks where everybody needs to have their services. I did talk to, like, for example, you know, you see it just starting with the gun manufacturers where um, they're having a hard time getting banking, right? You saw where the MyPillow guy, he says now he's having trouble getting banking. I've talked to in South Carolina, I, the lobbyist for the pawnbrokers told me that pawn shops are having a hard time now with credit cards working and with them securing banking because they're, you know, not an industry and as time goes on, it'll be more and more and just get bigger and bigger to the point that you'll have a hard time, you know, getting a mortgage or a car or anything or a credit card if you don't have a good ESG score. It is really, really scary. And you found all this out when you were starting with this mom and pop alliance? Yeah. So, um, well, let me tell you, I'll, I'll just wrap up on this ESG score thing, and then I'll tell you a little bit about the Mom and Pop Alliance. Does that sound good? Does that sound like a good way to go? Sounds like a plan. Sounds like a plan. Okay. So a little more on these, um, to, on the ESG scores to give your your guests, a, I mean, your audience a full view of it. So according to this Green Business Bureau, what they're doing is a strong ESG score will help businesses build trust with governments. And that makes the government more likely to award them access, approvals, licenses for, for new opportunities. So governments are using carrots and sticks to keep people in line with these ESG scores. And this one company called GiveWith, now they are a reporting agency. They'd kind of be like the people who determine your, your FICO score. It says, now this is a direct quote from GiveWith, which is a um, an ESG reporting company. Government agencies are beginning to use ESG scores to grant businesses permission for land, water, electricity, and a variety of crucial resources. So it's no wonder that the companies are going as woke, you know, going as woke as they are. I mean, they feel like they need to um, to stay in business. And then where this all comes from, of course, is um, 
Klaus Schwab. Well, it's Klaus Schwab's, but it's several things. Well, the overall impact. So it's so who is doing this? As U.S. corporations, the U.N., the IMF, the world, and especially the World Economic Forum and governments and others. And the why they're doing this is the overall end goal is to take our capitalistic system that we have now and convert it into what they're calling stakeholder capitalism. And stakeholder mm-hmm. capitalism does, you know, doesn't sound too bad to, to, to a lot of people. To you and I, it might not sound good, but to most people, that sounds okay. But really what they need to know is stakeholder is the same as collectivist capitalism. And that comes from Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum, and they've actually been putting this in place for 20 years. Um, we, you know, we weren't really aware of it until recently, but it's actually been, they actually started this process 20 years ago. And in the words of Klaus Schwab, and this is a quote, every, every industry from oil and gas to tech must be transformed. In short, we need a great reset of capitalism. And so what this will be is the elites will make the rules regarding how we stay in compliance, and those rules can change arbitrarily on a whim from the elites. So what we did with the Mom and Pop Alliance is, well, the Mom and Pop Alliance, we formed two years ago, as I told you. Um, People can join our organization. There's a small annual fee. It's either $50 or $100. And they can join us if they would like. And with that, we keep them informed of what's going on, and we try to advocate on their behalf. This all came about because when I opened my business, I had a really, really hard time five years ago just getting the doors open. We were delayed many months over regulations, all kinds of problems. Um, my architect in Greenville, who I mean in uh, Chicago, said, you're having more problems in Greenville than I've ever seen anywhere in the country. And I had a very, very hard – and I thought maybe I was being targeted. But I found out that probably isn't the case. It seemed like all the small business owners I was talking to were having a hard time. And so that kind of got me alerted that, gosh, something needs to change here. We need to have more communication between elected officials and small business owners and need to see what we can do. Well, then COVID hit, and I called all the state representatives I knew. I have a very good relationship with all of them in the upstate. And I said, okay, who's, who's down there speaking for us small business owners? And, and they said, you really don't have really anybody down here speaking for you. I mean, there are, you know, the, the chamber has gravitated more towards big business. The NFIB mm-hmm. does some great work, Federation Independent Businesses, but they're more towards um, national. So I yeah. saw a real need for us to have a statewide organization to help support our small businesses. And, you know, if we would all come together, there's almost 400,000 of us. We could have tremendous impact if we could come together and be organized. And I realized if something like, especially if something like COVID happens, I mean, if, if states like California or Michigan had done and formed an organization such as this 10, 15 years ago, they really would have had a hard time um, with the tyranny that they, they imposed on them. So that being said, now we've been up for two years. It's momandpopalliance.org. And one of the things we decided to take on was this ESG issue because nobody was really aware of it. Our elected officials, you know, last session they had 1,900 bills in both chambers of the House. And I don't think citizens realize that. They think 
oh, they're state elected officials, they should be up on this, they should know every bill, and, and they really just can't because there's 1,900 of them. So it's up to us as citizens to help work with them and keep them informed. And so when the CSG got on the radar, I, was, I really wanted to be sure that all the elected officials were aware. I've been texting them again today about it. And so what we did is we went down to Columbia or up for you. We went to Columbia. We bring our, our gourmet popcorn, and we brought them the information about ESGs and some, pro, some proposed language for a bill that was out of a New Hampshire bill. And so we were able to inform them of that, and I'm happy to say that Representative Ann Sayer out of Anderson got right on it. Within a day or two, she was getting this bill filed, and it's H4978 in the House. And that's the bill we have in South Carolina pushing back on this. I really think the state level is the best way to push back on this. And what that bill does is um, it makes it really will discourage banks and financial, financial institutions from making lending decisions. They must be based on financial concerns only. Then they impose steep fines for any discrimination based on subjective or arbitrary standards. And the fines go from fifty to 250000 really fast. And so it's where you cannot discriminate by using these arbitrary standards. And so we're trying mm. to put that protection in place in South Carolina for businesses and for individuals so they can't be discriminated against. And then on the Senate side, I was happy to see that Senator Josh Kimbrell got right on it within a week or two of us going to Columbia. He was speaking out on the Senate floor about this. And he's also been all over social media. He made a very good video on the topic. And he sent a letter to the South Carolina um, Commerce Secretary calling for a ban on ESG scoring and economic development. So I think it's important for all of us, and especially people outside of the upstate, because I'm able to uh, have decent reach in the upstate, but I'm outside of that. I could really use help getting the word out about these ESGs, let citizens be aware, small business owners need to be aware. We need to, of course, applaud and support those elected officials that are willing to take a stand against ESGs. But there are a lot of elected officials who we haven't, you know, still don't know about this topic yet, it's so new. So really need, um, it really be great for your listeners to let our elected officials know about this topic, let them know about H4978, there is not a corresponding bill in the Senate because when I'm talking with the senators, they say it'll be a lot easier to just pass the House bill and then it'll be, you know, be too messy if we write a bill and then we try to combine the two. So, um, we, you know, we just have to let them know that we don't want any part of this anti-American social credit scoring system. You know, uh, Karen Schoen, who had been on earlier, um, had said that there are uh, – 20 other attorney generals in the United States that have gone after the ESGs. So that's good to know. <laughs> but I'll get a hold of Sh- <laughs> excuse me, Shannon Erickson and even Chip Campson and Tom Davis and, and see if I can get it rolling on their side. I'll pull up the wording and everything. But you're going to have to come on down here, uh, be a guest at my Tea Party meeting here. And maybe even I'll talk to uh, Kevin Henley, who run, who's the chair of the county GOP, and get the message out here and just start the ball rolling through the low country and get the word out and just spread it from group to group to group. Yes, we very much need to do that. That would be great. I have um, 
be happy to come down and do that um, for y'all because uh, I really want to get this out. And it's moving fast. We, uh, I, I, every day I'm like, oh, my gosh, they're way further along than I thought. And then they're just uh, moving this along really, really fast. And they're trying to do it under the radar. It is shocking to me that this has been going on for 20 years and we don't know anything about it. Um, you know, it's obvious, you know, you think what could go wrong with this system. I mean, there's a, a lot on the social side, of course. It's just horrific what can happen on the social side of this. On the economic side, of course, you got to think about corruption. You know, who who sets these ESG standards? Who gets to enforce them? As smaller companies and startups will be at a, such a tremendous disadvantage. I mean, they're, they're not going to have the resources needed to get to, to navigate the uh, complex web of regulations needed to get a high ESG score. Of course, the cost of all products are going to go up, and it's going to interfere with supply and demand because they will be more worried about making a, a, you know, a good ESG score than they will be worried about making what customers really want and need. And then my other concern is, too, that over time you can have this whole – ESG's reporting uh, cottage industry as it grows bigger. You know, I was talking to some medium, mid-sized businesses in Greenville, and they and I brought up ESGs, and I and they said, "Oh yes, we're working on it. We're getting our ESG compliance officers in place." And I was like, "Oh." So I handed them the letter just to let them know a little bit the background. But businesses think this is something they need to do and they should be doing. And as that cottage industry gets bigger and bigger and you get more people on the payroll of ESG compliance, you know, enforcing this, it's going to be harder to pull it back because they'll have more and more lobbies to keep it in place. Um, yeah. And, so it's, well, 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 I was, was going to say, as, as your brother found out, it affected his insurance rates. So it will affect our everyday life soon if we don't put the brakes on it. Yeah, and of course it will start off smaller. So you think, oh, okay, well, I guess it's not worth, you know, but it could, it's really going to be a social credit score that can determine. Uh, you know, I had a son who lived in China for a year, and, and uh, he said, Mom, in China, one of the things that was so horrible is you had to submit your paperwork. Like if you wanted to leave your house for, like, you know, 60 miles away, you had to submit your paperwork to the government, tell them where you're going, why you're going, when you'll be back. He said just to do that. Now, he didn't have to do it because he was an American there, but um, so he was blown away by that. And um, I'm not saying that will happen, but it's possible with this social credit scoring. I mean, there's just so many ways they can go, um, and people will be competing to be – everybody will be competing to be as woke as they can be to get high enough score. And that's a scary thought because now here comes the cancel culture uh, in full-blown – so someone like you and someone like me, we're, we're going to be canceled out. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so my brother doesn't even know why he's a four. I mean, he doesn't know it's because his boat takes gas or because he sells air conditioning for a system or because of his political beliefs. He has no idea. Um, so um, we are pushing back at the mom and pop. I will say that most of the elected officials are telling me that because it's the second year of our state session and the second half of our session – were, you know, if something really wasn't submitted before January, well, even last, I mean, really should have been submitted last session to have a good chance of getting passed. Um, the chances of us getting this passed this session are low because we're kind of at the tail end here. But I'm not giving up. I'm going to be back down there. And I think if we all, I just was texting Ann Thayer again, and I said, this is moving along. We don't have to, you know, we need to keep pushing forward. 
So if we can get people around the state to talk, and I mean nicely, very, very, you know, we want to be professional and kind to of our state legislators if we want them to listen to us and, and let them know about this. Because most of them, this is not that they're against it all, you know, necessarily. It's just they're just not aware. Yeah, as we, we have to get it statewide and nationwide because we can be ESG-free, in South Carolina or Florida or Texas, but what about all the other states that we do business with? When you start to cross mm-hmm. over financially and physically the state lines, how is that going to now affect our freedom of mobility, our freedom of products and services? Or oh, they're not going to sell to a state that has a, a low ESG number, so also now you can't get California wine in South Carolina? You know, there's a whole big slippery slope where we can end up going mm-hmm. down. Yeah, and it can be the end, too, of, like, representative government, really, because you can have all these rep- representatives, but if the ESG scores are what's really controlling people's behavior, and then, of course, if they if they do, if they digitize our currency, then, you know, that would be it. But like my brother who got the low rating, he lives in Florida. He lives in a red state, but he's going to, you know, he, he's going to be restricted even though he's in a red state. So it's a way of them getting around representative government. Oh, yeah, and to shut our voices. <laughs> that's that's mm-hmm. very simple. Well, Diane Hardy, I will be speaking with you soon. Uh, we'll be talking about having you come down, because I haven't seen you since the last Tea Party Coalition Convention Joe Dugan held. And gosh, that was what? Yeah. long time ago. <laughs> yeah, about six years ago, I think. So it would be fun to catch up with you. Okay, can I encourage your listeners to check out the our article? It's on our Mom and Pop Alliance Facebook page. And also consider joining. You can be a, a business owner or a non-business owner to join. You don't, do not have to own a business to own to uh, join our organization. And like I said, I the volunteer my time, so every penny goes towards operating costs. I do not take anything myself. And it's momandpopalliance.org. And momandpopalliance.org. Well, God bless you, Diane. I meant to mention that, but I'm glad you did. All right. We'll we'll be talking soon. All right. Thanks so much, Anne. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Diane Hardy, again, check it out, momandpopalliance.org. And bringing in our final victim of the day from the Heritage Foundation, I'm glad to welcome to the show Sarah Parcell Perry. She is with the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies. And oh boy, if if you ever want to get yourself ticked off, read some of the articles she wrote and what people are doing and trying to get away with. Thank God there's someone out there like you to uh, to fight the fight for us. Thank you. I got to tell you, there is uh, there's no shortage of work these days. It's really sort of a poverty <laughs> of riches because I have a lot of work to do. Yeah, I, I mean, we have this thing called the First Amendment that is supposed to protect our freedom of religion, where government cannot create or prohibit the free expression of, but yet somewhere or the Supreme Court doesn't quite get that part of it. Uh, But we also have freedom of speech. So I will defend your right to say whatever stupid thing you have to say, but you have to be responsible for what you say and know that if I disagree with it, I'm going to come back at you. So we have the freedom of speech to say any dumb thing we want or any smart thing we want. However, now they're going after our freedom of speech. Tell us about this poor wedding vendor in Colorado and what you found out about this. 
Sure. So believe it or not, this is another one of the wedding vendor cases. You know, we've seen Arlene's Flowers and uh, Baronel Stutzman make it up to the Supreme Court only to get kicked back down. We've seen Masterpiece Cake Shop and their owner, Jack Phillips, spend not once, not twice, but three times up to the Supreme Court under Colorado's Anti-Discrimination Act. And believe it or not, now we have a woman named Lori Smith who runs a uh, creative website company called 303 Creative, and she is a Christian and is also being attacked under the Colorado Anti-Discrimination Act, the exact same bill that was being used to discriminate against Jack Phillips for his desire not to violate his sincerely held religious beliefs. So it's the same act coming up yet again. And this wedding designer has decided that because of her Christian faith, she only wants to do wedding products, wedding websites for individuals who are entering into traditional Orthodox marriages, a man and a woman. And she is seeking a pre-enforcement challenge of this actual rule. She's trying to make sure that the court weighs in and determines once and for all whether or not this actual statute is hostile to religious business providers. And what we're finding is that there's sort of a new battlefield that is emerging. And this is the sort of landscape of non-discrimination law, local non-discrimination law, state and local ordinances, and First Amendment liberties, freedom of speech and freedom of religion. And we're seeing this battle really take place on a grand scale when it comes to these providers of wedding-based services because a wedding is so naturally for Orthodox believers, a spiritual event, and the Bible's so clear about what is said on the importance of a man and woman joined together for life. These individuals, whether they bake cakes or make floral arrangements or design wedding websites, don't want to violate their sincerely held religious beliefs or their freedom of speech in doing what they do best. Now, they, none of them have shut out any individual from getting service. They can come and get any website, get any cake, get any, get any floral arrangement, the singular restriction is not for a marriage because that is a God-ordained union of a man and a woman. So Lori Smith has sought what's called a writ of certiorari. She sought review from the Supreme Court. And we're used to hearing most often about the violation of religious liberty, but she is actually asserting not just the violation of her religious liberty, but her First Amendment right to free speech. This particular decision that's coming up from the Tenth Circuit determines that not only could she be forced to make a website in violation of her beliefs, so that's compelled speech that the Supreme Court has said is a violation of the First Amendment, but she was also restricted from speaking on her website about what her beliefs were as a Christian. So she had to both say something she didn't want to say and was prevented from saying something she did. I believe this case is going to be ultimately a slam dunk for the Supreme Court. The case law is very clear, particularly as concerns the state of Colorado and the Colorado Anti-Discrimination Act, the same one from the Masterpiece Cake Shop case. So it is very apparent to me, and I think a lot of other court watchers, that we could anticipate the right outcome here. We're hopeful that that is the case. 
but we probably won't see oral arguments in this case until the beginning of the next term. So we'll have to wait and see what the Supreme Court ultimately says. Mm. It's very interesting because uh, uh, it, 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 I've always wondered why they didn't go after the freedom of speech aspect of these cases, why they only hung it on just one, why not make it a two-prong attack. I was just always curious why they never did that. Well, it's very interesting because that was precisely the attack here. I think because of the restriction that was coming from the Tenth Circuit, and the Tenth Circuit said you can be forced to create this message, but you can also be prevented from saying another message, the one you really want to transmit, because it had that unique aspect of both forcing speech and preventing speech in this instance. I think it set up a pretty good two-pronged challenge, not just on a violation of religious liberty, but also on the violation of the First Amendment guarantee of freedom of speech. And The government does not have the power to silence or compel creative expression under the threat of punishment, you know, and it's really shocking to all of us to see the Tenth Circuit permitting Colorado to punish artists whose particular speech isn't in line with whatever their state-approved ideology is. It's really amazing to me that we're seeing this anti-discrimination law get again back to the Supreme Court level because it's very clear the state of Colorado is absolutely hostile to individuals who have traditional or orthodox beliefs on human sexuality. So I think we're really hopeful that this particular case results in a good outcome. Counsel in this case for Lori Smith is the Alliance Defending Freedom with whom Heritage worked very closely And uh, their briefing in this case has been tremendous, and they really do have the strength of the Constitution on their side. So we're hopeful that once and for all the Supreme Court is finally going to put an end to the use of non-discrimination law as sort of a weapon to discriminate against religious Americans. Well, you brought something up that was very important, which was also in your article, about what an artist is allowed to or compelled to say. And, you know, if you look at it from the artist's point, point of view, which these people are creating something out of nothing, and like any artist, very happy to sell their stuff. Uh, but right. you don't tell a comedian what they can and cannot say on stage. Right. Do you? No. You, do you no, tell I... a playwright exactly what can or cannot be written, or an author what can or cannot be written? So if I have... If you are prohibiting me from expressing, uh, but you don't prohibit any other artist, why am I in a completely different category than, say, from a painter or a writer or a comedian or an impressionist or whatever? Right. No, that's actually a great distinction, and it's a great comparison. You know, when you're dealing with these artistic um, sort of professions and those individuals who make a living by using their particular giftness. It's all about the message, right? It's the use of your talents to express something that is unique in that particular field. But it's interesting, the Tenth Circuit actually thought that the law, the Colorado Anti-Discrimination Act, was rightly 
written and rightly tailored. You know, the court, the Supreme Court tells us that when you're dealing with issues that go to the First Amendment or to constitutional law generally, you have to express a compelling government interest. And then that interest has to be as narrowly tailored as possible to make sure that you're not infringing on someone else's constitutional liberties. Well, here, it found not only that there was a compelling interest in preventing discrimination against LGBTQ individuals, but also that they had narrowly tailored it, which to my mind, reading the non-discrimination ordinance and the Tenth Circuit's opinion, absolutely fails to pass the straight face test. Here you have a creative, artistic individual who has said the only thing she won't do is anything related to the provision of services for same-sex weddings. And that's the one thing that Colorado is targeting her for, just like it did for Jack Phillips. But these artistic vendors, these individuals who make a living by virtue of their very unique expression, have to have the freedom to do what they want to do within the purview of their own businesses. And being compelled to say something that an individual doesn't believe in is, is the absolute ultimate and First Amendment violation. Yeah. Now, I, I have one other comparison to a situation. It's not exactly similar, but if you think about it in this terms, it kind of like explains a lot because you don't go into a Mexican restaurant and demand they make you Chinese food. Right? If it, this right. is what you exactly do. Exactly it. <laughs> if this That's is what exactly you do, it. I mean, and if you know they're not going to provide the one thing you want, you can always go down the road to someone else, and, and they'll probably be happy to get your business. So you're not prohibited from entering any other business. It's just they don't provide that exact service, you know? That's like, exactly it's, it. It's, That's exactly it. And that's okay. <laughs> you have other options. <laughs> Yeah. It really does go to do. whether or not you have the, the freedom to be able to do what you want with the business that you've built and what your rights of expression are as not only just an individual American, but as somebody who's chosen to specialize in a particular field. You have other opportunities for other services from other vendors. And in fact, the Tenth Circuit actually took a very strange and, and novel, to my mind, it's the first time we've ever seen this argued by a judge. They took the approach that her services were so unique that they could compel her to make the website because they couldn't get her services or something like her services anywhere else. So basically, it's an artist as monopolist theory, which has never survived review anywhere else. It seemed the judge really pulled that out of thin air. And I'm hopeful that the justices see right through that as an attempt to force an individual with conservative orthodox to do something that she doesn't want to do. They don't seem to be inclined to say, listen, you can always find these types of services elsewhere. These federal uh, circuits, particularly the ninth and 10th, have been very hostile to conservative, orthodox, religious perspectives. But we're hoping once this gets to the Supreme Court and we get a chance to hear what the justices are thinking in oral argument, that we'll, we'll be ultimately looking at a stronger future for the rights of religious Americans to operate their businesses in accordance with their First Amendment rights. 
No, there's, I've got some of the best listeners. I've got to tell you this. Well, Bigfoot puts it. He has another analogy. Would you demand that a Jewish or Muslim-owned restaurant serve you a ham sandwich? That's exactly <laughs> it. it. A perfect <laughs> We get it. Absolutely well said. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. I'm going to switch a little to a different article you wrote dealing with the Fairfax County School Board and the principal to the Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology. Talk about political correctness and wokeness being shoved under the radar in such a manner. Uh, But the parents uh, turned around and caught it. And uh, tell us about what's going on with the Thomas Jefferson High School. Well, one of my colleagues actually had a daughter that went to um, Thomas Jefferson High School. It is a very prestigious public magnet school Was that in Hans? Fairfax County, Virginia. Yeah, it is Hans. You're talking about Hans? That is my colleague. Oh, Hans. I love Hans. Oh, he's one of our favorites. Yes, I just love saying his right name. From mine. Yep, and he, is, uh, uh, he and I do a lot of work together because we both sort of specialize in the field of civil rights and constitutional law. His daughter actually attended at Thomas Jefferson High School and I have to tell you, it is an incredibly different, difficult program to get into. They are some of the best students in the country. But out of the blue, a few years ago, the Fairfax County School Board decided that they want the composition of the school to be more representative of the demographic area around them in Fairfax. Now, the school as it existed previously was majority Asian American, approximately 75%, with the remaining 25% spread out between African Americans, Hispanics, and then um, Caucasians. And because the actual expansive demography of the whole county of Fairfax was more white and less Asian, they really wanted to make some adjustments so that they would have a student body population that would most accurately represent the population of the county. They called it a holistic admissions approach, and they essentially said that they wanted to engage in racial balancing to make sure that there was more parity. But here's the problem. Racial balancing, for its own sake, is patently unconstitutional. Judge Hilton said this, in his opinion, he's the federal district court judge who granted summary judgment to the parents' coalition, the coalition for TJ, mostly made up of Asian-American parents, and he absolutely found immediately a win for them because it was patently obvious to him that what the, what the school board was doing and what the principal was doing was engaging in race discrimination. So regardless of whether or not they thought they were doing something good, in other words, we're going to represent more obviously the community that we're operating in, it's ultimately – something on which the Supreme Court has been very, very clear. The student class size went from 72% Asian American to after the introduction of this new admissions policy, which, by the way, lowered some of the testing metrics, put people in a candidate pool, and changed the very rigorous process that it took for these students to get in. The Asian-American population went from 72% to 54%. 
It was the largest change, and it was a change negatively impacting only one racial group. Well, obviously, that's race discrimination. This was a whole procedure that took place in part after the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis in May 2020, and there were some text messages that went back and forth between the school administrators and the principal saying horribly racist things about the Asian-American parents who had complained about the admissions uh, process. And it really was something that was so clearly discriminatory that Judge Hilton had no problem immediately ruling on summary judgment, which means they didn't even have to go to trial. It was an initial file for summary judgment and an initial win for the parents group right off the bat, which I think to me demonstrates that these judges and these courts are now recognizing the attempt at race race discrimination that's being camouflaged as equity or racial balancing or diversity and inclusion. And what it's ultimately doing is disadvantaging one group of individuals over another by virtue of their race. When you're watching fall by 25% a class composed of Asian Americans who have consistently scored well on entrance exams and all of the testing metrics, suddenly drop by 25% after a new policy is instituted, these parents were absolutely right to be frustrated. And in addition to the obvious discrimination, the school board failed to hold public meetings. They didn't announce the new policy. They didn't put it on the schedule for public comment. Everything they did was in the shadows. And it's impossible to transform racial balancing simply by calling it racial diversity. The Supreme Court's made that very clear. And I think we're going to see more of these types of cases. Now that the Supreme Court has taken up two cases on college admissions using the exact same scenario. Harvard College and the University of North Carolina, both of whom have used different racial balancing approaches to change the admissions metrics. And in both situations, only one population has been disadvantaged. That is the group of Asian Americans. And so we're gonna see the Supreme Court ultimately say, I believe, that the time has come to end the use of race in education at all. Nothing good can come from classifying individuals, whether advantaged or disadvantaged, on the basis of their immutable characteristics like skin color. Yeah, I wish there was something like this around when I was going to college trying to get jobs and stuff. I can't tell you how many times that I was told because of affirmative action, we're hiring uh, Hispanic or or black. And I'm like, what does that have to do with the job qualification? Well, affirmative action. Right. That was the worst, worst thing that has ever happened to this nation, affirmative action. And this is just another uh, example of it run amok. And that's what it has Absolutely. actually been. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the clock. The whole show is going so fast. We're only down to our last eight minutes. Holy cow. 
but there's so much more out there to talk about because I was talking to an earlier guest who works, uh, she has a podcast about uh, education, and I mentioned about this bill that was just recently uh, signed, I believe yesterday, by Governor DeSantis, uh, dealing with the education and the indoctrination of children uh, by the school system without the parents yeah. knowing what's being done. The Parents' Bill, bill of Rights for Education, a fantastic piece of uh, legislation, uh, but it didn't go as far as it was originally intended. We're supposed to go through sixth grade. But I, I said, you know, you got the legislation, you got it passed, you got your foot in the door. Now you have to work on them uh, on amending the legislation to include the upper classes. But it's a start. Right. right, it absolutely is. And, you know, and I know that you probably talked about this, and she's probably talked about it as well. It is so critically important to push back on what is being labeled for this bill. You know, we're seeing on Twitter t- trends and hashtags like don't say gay, the don't say gay bill. And it's an absolute patent mischaracterization of what the bill is designed to do. This is a parent's empowerment bill. Parents are the ultimate and the biggest stakeholder in education nationally, whether that is private school, public school, charter school, or homeschool. As long as we have had Meyer versus Nebraska, a decision dating to 1923, the Supreme Court has recognized parents as the number one authority in how children are educated. It is our children, and it is our choice. And I think many parents, particularly so in Florida, have been really inundated. Their kids are coming home with information that is too advanced for them, that is driven by a hardline orthodoxy that most parents do not agree to. Gone are the days of teaching plain reproductive biology. I remember moons ago when I was in the high school and middle school, it was simply reproductive biology and nothing more. It was a version of our science class. Now we're telling children that they could pick their pronouns, their names, their gender identity, that they have to be respectful by responding to people in ways that represent who they are, which might not be binary. I cannot get my son past pre-algebra without spending hours a day with him. And now he's going to be told that gender is fungible and who you are on the day you were brought into the world is ultimately potentially wrong. And you could be someone completely different, which is no wonder that our international economic placement scores that set up the United States among all the other developed nations are horrific. We are dropping. We're now 25th out of developed nations. And there's no excuse for that because our expenditures in the space of education are, they're unmatched anywhere in the world. I applaud Governor DeSantis for signing this bill. The bill is well written. It provides for an opportunity to review curriculum. It gives parents the authority, the primary authority in what's taught in sexual education. It gives these parents finally an opportunity to say, oh, we ultimately feel like we have a voice again in the education of our children. And I I think he really expressed a level of bravery that we need to see in other states as well. 
this bill that bans classroom instruction on sexuality and gender identity before fourth grade, yes, ideally we'd like to see it to sixth grade, but we've now got a good law on the books. We can work to make it even better. It requires transparency, parental consent for health care services at school. It bars school districts from requiring teachers to keep secrets from their parents about mental health and physical health. Uh, decisions for kids. It really is something we have needed all along, and yet at the same time, it's discouraging. It has to get this far because these are fundamentals of child rearing and education that should always be respected and always be in place. Well, when you get off air with me, you've got to walk across the hall, give Hans a big hug for me, and say, I sent it long distance. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> I will. I'll do that. All right, Sarah, people can find you at the Heritage Foundation, heritage.org. Thank you for the hard work you do, and you've got to definitely come back on. Tell Tom you want to come back on. Thanks so much. All right. Check out Sarah over at uh, heritage.org. Curtis, I forgot to mention that that tomorrow night, 10 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, I am a guest on the Liberty News Radio Network, uh, the Scoop 7-5 Radio. Yeah, so I will be interviewed uh, talking about my days as a cop. So i got to pull out some member books and try to remember half the crap I did. <laughs> anyway, can you repeat the show? It's going to be on Liberty News Radio Network. You can get that online. Uh, just Google Liberty News Radio Network, and I will be there uh, at 10 o'clock. So tune in, and uh, and we'll have some fun. All right. Oh. Uh, that's all we got for Today, we're going to have Clarence McKee on uh, next week, and also Mark Tapscott will be back next week. Um, I have to see whoever else I talk to and fill in the blanks. Uh, But that's all we got for today, so I will say a quick goodbye, and God bless, and enjoy your weekend. Right, Curtis? All right. I'm all for that. (laughs) Okay. So I leave you with Gary Pecorell at Save America. Don't change America, God bless.
Friends I had loved and lost. Friends I still. 